Friday, July the 24th, 2020. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Hope everyone is having a nice week, getting ready for their weekend. We got a horse racing heavy episode of That's What G Said. And we'll go Friday, Saratoga. We have Andrew Champagne who joins us to talk about the late pick five from Saratoga for Friday. Friday, Del Mar. I'm going to roll through the Del Mar card for Friday and... I'm going to go through uh, pl- some wagers, and then after I'm going to set up a Friday lineup for Stable Duel. They have three different contests available for Friday, and for the first time we can play Del Mar. So if you have never played Stable Duel so far, maybe some of the tracks they had weren't tracks that you focus on. You're a West Coaster. we got Del Mar in the mix now. You can get involved in a Stable Duel contest on Friday at Del Mar. Going to talk some Saturday Saratoga, some Saturday Del Mar, And then we're going to close things out with the old wrestling rewatch. We go to the Royal Rumble 2010 with Darren Zocali and Andrew Champagne. So double duty for Andrew Champagne on this episode. We'll talk some racing. We'll talk some wrestling. Before we get into those, it was opening day of baseball season on Thursday. We got two baseball games. Well, unfortunately, we really didn't get two full baseball games, but we had two baseball games being played. First up, it was the Yankees against the Washington Nationals. There was a lot of news that came out on Thursday also that the Washington Nationals, you know, one of their best players, Juan Soto, tested positive for the coronavirus, so he is unable to play. They aren't quite sure how long that's going to be, and we found out for the Dodgers The gentleman who was supposed to start opening day for them on the mound, Clayton Kershaw, he has some back tightness, so he didn't end up starting for the Dodgers. So a couple of big injuries, issues, medical issues for the Washington Nationals and the Dodgers that we just found out about today, right before, uh, not long before either team had to make their season debut. So in the Yankee game, this game only went Six innings. It, it was a rainout, and it was bad weather throughout. We had Garrett Cole against Max Scherzer. Final score four to one Yankees, and it was sort of what you'd expect with the Yankees, right? First inning, Stanton hits a two-run home run, and so the Yankees go up two to nothing. And then Cole gives up gives up a home run right back to Eaton, so it's two to one early. Judge with a double. He gets an RBI in the third, and then Stanton with a, a single, he picks up another RBI in the fourth. So, they're in the fifth uh, when they scored their fourth run, the the Yanks. So, game ends 4-1, shortened game because of the rain, but the Yankees get their first win of the season. Scherzer was a little rocky early, but he tends to be a little rocky early, and then he settles down. The thing that was a little weird for Scherzer was the the walks. You know, um, the he had 11 strikeouts, but the four walks something that you don't see all too often from Mad Max. So the Yankees, the team that is thought of to be the favorite, right there, one of the top two favorites in the American League, and the team who's thought of being the heavy favorite in the National League, the Dodgers, they both get wins on opening day. And Not the best news right off the bat for the Dodgers when they found out that Clayton Kershaw wouldn't be starting. So they call up the rookie, Dustin May, who is not even on the opening day roster, but he is someone who's already thrown some games in the the bigs last year. Super highly projected prospect, 
And this is a really talented kid. You can see when when you watch him, he's still not a finished prod, uh, product yet. He's still got a, a little to figure out. But the glimpses are there. The ability is there. He just has to put it all together and become more consistent from at bat to at bat. But he came up tonight and he did exactly what the Dodgers need every pitcher to do for them. Just keep them in games. What we saw in the first game of the season for the Dodgers is, I think, a microcosm of what their season will be like and what things will be like with this group of players. Their lineup is so deep and so devastating and so powerful. They can struggle for four or five or six innings, and then when, as soon as you sort of let your guard down for just a moment, they're going to explode with five, like they did. The Giants were doing a great job. You know, the first six innings, this game was 1-1. Dodgers put up a five spot in the seventh and scored two in the eighth and win the game 8-1. to And really, it was it was all about Kiki. This was a Kiki Hernandez game. And, and that's what's crazy about this Dodgers team, right? Nobody else had an incredible game. Muncie got on base a couple times. He had a hit and a walk. Mookie got on base. Uh, Mookie got his first hit and scored his first run as a Dodger. Bellinger got a knock. Turner got a knock. Seager got a knock. But it was Kiki who was four for five with five RBIs. He scored a couple of runs. And it's a big night for Kiki. And everybody else just does what they need to do. Rest of the team had eight hits spread around. Kiki himself had five. May did what the Dodgers needed him to do, pitched, you know, four plus innings. And then the rest of the bullpen all came in and was really good. It went from Ferguson to Baez to Kalerick to Gratterall. Dodgers open the season with a victory. They are 1 and 0. Let's get to some horse racing. In just a minute. Before we do, we're gonna we're gonna talk some Friday Saratoga with Andrew Champagne. Before we do, we're gonna hear a little bit about one of our sponsors. I'm talking about Thrive Fantasy. Do you like to play fantasy sports? Do you like to bet? Are you a fan of baseball, basketball, football? It's gonna be coming back soon. Golf. Thrive Fantasy is a DFS app for prop bets. What they've done is they've changed things up. For each contest, you're gonna be choosing between overs and unders on their list of prop bets. You're going to pick one side and each of the sides will have a point total assigned to them. For example, it'll say something like, will Tom Brady throw for over or under 250 yards? 100 points for over, 100 points for under. You pick which one you think is going to happen. That's how you set your lineup. It's like a a DFS, but it's just got a, a different twist to it with the the prop bet got a little bonus for you right now to use that promo code GINO if you make a deposit of $10 or more you'll get an instant $10 bonus credit right into your account boom so if you are interested if this sounds like something you might like you want to try it out put a few bucks in throw 10 in you'll get that $10 bonus credit you'll have 20 in your account to go try a few different contests there are all sorts of contests you can play in head to head matchups you can play in small groups or you can play in some of the big contests where you're going to be playing against hundreds of other entries with the chance to win hundreds or thousands of dollars in prizes 
Give it a look. Thrive Fantasy. Download the app. Use the promo code GINO. Make a deposit of $10, and you'll get an instant $10 bonus credit. Right now, Friday, Saratoga. We talk about the late pick five sequence with a man that covers every race of Saratoga every single day, Andrew Champagne. Enjoy this interview with Andrew. Okay, so I myself have struggled the last couple days when it came to Saratoga. So I needed to call in a favor. I needed to call in a friend, someone who looks at every single race, every single day over at Saratoga. My good friend. You've heard him on this podcast many, many times. Andrew Champagne, buddy, how you doing? I'm doing really well, thanks, especially after today. I had a pretty good day on Thursday at Saratoga. Six top pick winners, three seconds and a third. So I'm running pretty good, and I'm really excited for tomorrow's late pick five sequence. So more than happy to stop by and chat a little bit about it. Okay, let's do, let's jump right on into it. We're going to, for those of you following along, get your past performances out. We're going to be looking at Friday, July the 24th at Saratoga. We're going to turn to race number six to kick things off. And to kick things off, Andrew, we have a mile and three ace race on the inner turf. It's a first level allowance race for Phillies and Mayors three-year-olds and up. So we get a, a, a real distance type race, something that we don't get a ton of. And I, looking at some of the stuff that you have up on andrewchampagne.com where you put up a, a nice write-up going through this pick five sequence too, it looks like you feel like there is an opportunity or two for a couple prices to at least look at in this race. Gino, I hate the favorite in this race. Yeah. It's Cap to Cruz. One for 14 with six seconds. This horse just does not want to win. This horse was about three to two last time out, a little bit shorter than that. I understand there was a bit of a layoff. Captain Cruz is supposed to win that race. Captain Cruz was coming out of grade three races down at Gulfstream Park. She didn't get the job done. And that's sort of been the theme of her career. She's 0 for 10 on turf. The one win that this horse has had in the course of her career came on a muddy track at Keeneland against straight maidens in a race that did produce Sally's Curlin, but Sally's Curlin is a sprinter that was being asked to go a mile and an eighth. That's not her game. I am against Captain Cruz in here, and my top selection is a really big price. The more I look, the more I love number two, No Mo Temper, who came off the bench, ran an okay fourth last time out at Belmont, goes second off the layoff for Mark Cassie, and there is not a lot of speed in this race. Going this long, if you're up front setting really slow fractions, you've got a really good shot to do some damage, and I think No Mo Temper sits that kind of trip. I almost singled No Mo Temper, but if Christophe Clement or Graham Motion or any of these old-style trainers sends out a horse that you just, in a turf marathon race, that even if they disappointed last time out when they were well bet, you give them one more shot. Yep. And yep. I'm giving Ebony one more shot for the Graham Motion Barn. Ebony was two to five last time out at Belmont, and she was bad. She was fifth that day. That race was too bad to be true. It was because there was no excuse, right? It was like you, you. It was just bad. It was absolutely no reason why she was that poor. But she comes back. There's no drop. There's nothing weird, and she may have just needed the race. I'm with you. She's. I can't. I can't just dismiss her in the spot. No, and this is a horse that the prior connections had high hopes for back in France. She ran the Prix de Diane Longines and was beaten less than four lengths that day. She was 30 to one in that spot, so she wasn't really considered an elite horse. But 
you're beating less than four lengths in a group one. That matters. She adds blinkers in this spot. She's probably going to be the second choice. And I think maybe there's some value there. I mentioned Christophe Clement, who has been winning everything that isn't nailed down. I almost used number six in your program. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce that because I will butcher it. The light bulb effect may very well be in play here. However, I just went too deep in this spot. I thought Ebony had a lot more to offer. And I think the Marcassi trainee might be tough to catch. 2-7 for me in the first leg of the pick five. Regardless, the big takeaway here, I am absolutely trying to beat the morning line, even money favorite. Yeah, we're, we're very similar in here. I'm 2-6-7, and it, it depends. I'm, I might throw the nine in. I might not. But I, the only reason why I might is because I'll have a single later down the line, and I have a couple other prices throughout the ticket. So I, I'm fine do it, taking the stand that you did. And I, I'm completely in agreement with everything you said about the two um, no-mo temper. It, it's, I, I love horses like this that you can look at, and you can go through her entire career and make a legitimate excuse for the two races where she didn't hit the board. One of them was in the slop at Keeneland Put a line right through it And the last one, she actually didn't even run that poorly When finishing fourth in a race that she needed I mean, she didn't run from December of 2018 To July of 2020 So she really needed that race And she ran exactly the kind of race You would expect from a filly Off of that kind of a layoff She was in the mix, a little bit fresh She moved into it, and then she faltered after, After making her bid, and she didn't have a whole lot late You're right, there's not a ton of speed in here I'm expecting some major improvement. I think the six is is also live. You you left that one off your ticket, but um, I, I can see if you have to cut a horse or two, the six. I would I would probably prefer the seven ebony over the six, but they're right there. And yeah, if you can get six or eight to one or above on no mo temper, that would be a great price. And two six seven, maybe the nine if you're afraid of the nine and you don't want to include or you don't want to completely dismiss. But I'm okay with doing that. I, I'm never worried about tossing an even money favorite that I don't love. So. Um, yeah, n- not a not a horse that scares us at least in this first leg of the the pick five sequence. Yeah, for Let- sure. And you're going to need to toss a favorite at some point if you want this to pay a fair bit. And these wagers, Gino, have been paying a lot, a lot of money. A couple of days ago, there was actually the chance and a legitimate chance at a late pick five carryover. And mm-hmm. when you consider how much money is in that pool. And that a big circuit gets, like that. Yeah. That pool gets a million dollars a day thereabouts. If there's a chance at a carryover, it's huge news. It wound up being a covered horse that won the last leg. But still, if you had that sequence, you were cashing for six figures. It's a fun sequence here. And I think it's a fun sequence because I don't like that favorite. And I don't like another favorite later on in the sequence as well. Let's get to race number seven. We have New York Breads. These are Phillies and Mares, three-year-olds and up. They're going to travel five and a half furlongs on the turf course. And from a betting perspective, the money will probably get spread around a little bit. I expect Snicket to be one of the betting choices. You mentioned the, the Clement Barn rolling. And this horse is legitimately looks like the one to beat. A couple runner-up efforts going six furlongs. Now you're going to shorten up a little bit here And I mean I think this is the one they're going to all have to hold off He ha- he has had a little bit of trouble also And he probably should have won His last race so if you're a, you know, a, a trip handicapper I'm sure you're going to have her on your ticket That's Snicket so I, I'll be having her on the ticket This isn't a favorite I'm trying to beat Like we were in the first leg Who Who do you use how deep you need to go in this one First of all you mentioned the trip Snicket had last time out Let's be real Snicket should have been put up. 
after the inquiry there. Yeah. That yeah. horse got herded several paths out in the stretch and never had a shot to go by the winner fractorization. Right. I thought that was a terrible non-call by the stewards, but less said about that, the better. Snicket's the horse to beat in here. However, I don't think she's necessarily infallible. She's run second twice in a row, beaten narrow margins. Maybe you make the case that this is a horse that tends to find trouble. With that in mind, I'm also going to use number 10 quantitative breezing from the Brad Cox barn, which is due to get rolling at this meet. Brad Cox, too good of a trainer to be winless at the meet, ran a good second in the debut downstate at Belmont. That was against maiden claiming foes, but still against state breads. The maiden claiming the maiden special weight jump, not as imposing when you're talking about New York breads or California breads or any other nope. restricted race there. No. It's a jump, but it's not unfeasible. Big buyer number for that race, too, mm-hmm. a 70. That's a strong race for the level. And I think quantitative breezing with Javier Castellano aboard stands a big chance. The one thing to keep in mind with some of these turf races The front end has not necessarily been the place to be at Saratoga. There was one horse that ran a hole in the wind on Thursday. That's the exception rather than the rule. Generally speaking, you want to be pretty far back going into the far turn because speed has not necessarily been the friend of jockeys and horse players alike so far on turf at the Saratoga meet. So I like the fact that quantitative brazen can close. I like that Snicket doesn't necessarily need the lead. 8-10 8-10 for me. They'll probably be the two favorites, but it's not like they're going to be incredibly no. short prices either. No, because there's others that'll take money. Um, the the two, Towering Gaze is one that I'll be throwing on my ticket. Um, show, probably some inside speed. This is a horse who showed inside speed last time out. Won the battle of the speeds, and then the race just fell apart late. He, she was right in the mix until late when it did fall apart, so I'll throw her on. The Seven Magnolias lady had sort of a similar type trip. She was in that same fractorization snicket race. She didn't have a whole lot to offer late in the race, but she was down inside it wasn't the easiest trip when you're, you know, a half length to a length behind and you're the speed horse on the inside and you're down in, in not a tough, when not an easy spot. It, it's difficult sometimes. So I think the seven's got a little bit of a shot here. I think the eight's obviously got a shot. Another horse I'll look at and, and probably use in some tickets along with the 10 is the nine cake. You mentioned the 10, I, I think logical contender for Brad Cox. Yeah, there's not. A ton of depth in these state bred levels So jumping up from 40 to maiden special Not that big a deal And even Cake, I thought Cake had the opportunity to improve She moved right up into contention With a four wide bid at the top of the lane And then she was just a little bit flat late I love that kind of a debut Where you loom up But you just don't have quite enough punch I think she should have gained a lot out of that race So yeah, I'll end up spreading out a little bit in this race Using both the horses that you mentioned But I'm going to throw a couple others in there With the uh, the, the two, seven, and the uh, the nine there So um, we'll we'll have similar, same same horses But I'll go a little deeper in race gotcha. number seven uh, Before yep. we move on to the next race though Really quick, I was befuddled by the 11 Kaz's princess I, I This also- is a horse that is bred to be very good I believe this is a full to a horse named Bernick's Bank, who was a stakes horse a couple of years ago. If not a full, certainly a half, because the dam is Bernick, the sire, Bank Heist, just saying, putting two and two together. And the horse looked pretty good in the debut, albeit at Penn National. This is a class jump, and I would probably like this horse far more if speed was playing better, but mm-hmm. it's not. And I feel as though that's the key. But Erod Ortiz Jr. hops on, for a 5% barn, there's a little bit to like in here. And if I was going to go three deep, 
that would probably be the one that I would use just in case that one was well meant. Yeah, and I read after a slow start to the meet, really warmed up with a five win Thursday, I believe. He five. had a good week on Thursday. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> good week on Thursday. We moved to race number eight on Friday on your Friday card. These are uh, optional 62, non twos, six furlongs, the distance. And Andrew, um, I'm I'm going to be pretty logical in this race. I think with probably a couple horses that'll be getting a lot of money. Where do you go? This is an optional claiming race that came up like a stakes race. There are some classy runners in this field. Even a 20-to-1 shot in the form of number two runaway loot, that name is going to be familiar to a lot of New York horse players. This is a horse that, when he was right for trainer Gary Contessa, was a very fast horse. Earned a 104 buyer number in winning a stakes race at Belmont in October of 2018. There's a couple of other really cool horses in this race as well. You have Chateau, who's a fast horse last year for Jason Service, naturally in another barn. But I think the money is going to go to two horses, and I'm going too deep using those two horses. Number seven, Free Enterprise, probably needed the race last time out at Churchill. Still ran an okay third, beating three and a quarter lengths that day, going six and a half. Chad Brown second off the layoff with Javier Castellano. I'm, I'm not rewriting the book here. This is a horse that should run well and will be bet like it. But I'm also going to use number nine, strike that for Robertino Diodoro. This is a horse that hasn't done a whole heck of a lot wrong to this point in his career. Wow. Five starts, three wins in two seconds. And the last time this horse ran, ran second behind a little horse named Volatile, who will likely be favored in the Vanderbilt on Saturday. That's a grade one race. This is an allowance optional claimer, and strike that draws a cushy outside post. I feel like this is going to be a pretty simple horse to ride for David Cohen. Get the horse out there. Go as fast as you can early, because for as speed, not so much on turf, it's been speed a lot on the main track. You want to be on or near the lead going into the far turn at Saratoga, at least at this point in the season. Whenever a Saratoga monsoon comes and resets the track, the track biases are going to reset along with it. So watch the weather. But strike that is likely going to be the early speed. I think Free Enterprise is going to set a length or two off that one, and it'll be those two turning for home. Seven and nine for me in the third leg of the pick five. Not trying to get too cute here. Yeah, I don't have to add really anything to the 7 or the 9 I'll be using both of them And I'm just also going to use the 1 Mount Travers The reason why I'll use the 1 is just I can envision a scenario where I see the 7 And I see the 9 hooking up And and maybe the 7 trying to get a little aggressive in a race Where they feel like they are one of the best horses And, and Javi tends to get aggressive sometimes So it, it, I can see versions of this race Where they go a little quick early And the one horse Mount Travers Can kind of take back and, and make one late run and, and mow them all down So I will use just the 3 logicals in there With the 1, the 7, and the 9 We move to race number 9 And we have a stakes race here this is the grade three quick call And they will be going quick Five and a half furlongs on the turf course Three year olds A very fast runner in here Andrew Named Jack and Noah He won the Sir Cat last time out If he's able to clear a field He can do some really really good big damage in, It looks like he's the quickest in here But you know having the two Pick and choose which short prices we're going to use Which short prices we're going to go against Is this one you're trying to beat? Is this one you're using Singling, including along with others? How do you approach Jack and Noah? This is a fascinating horse race Now, first of all 
if you don't know who Quick Call was, do some research. That is a horse that was not only a very fast thoroughbred, this horse lived a full life. The Fox Sports One crew, which has been doing a tremendous job all meet long at Saratoga, did a feature on Quick Call and the retirement program at the uh, Wallkill Correctional Facility in upstate New York, where horses help out inmates and give inmates a chance at a career once they leave the jail. It's really cool. Take a look at that. It makes you feel good inside. It makes me feel good just recapping what happened. Quick Call lived well into his 30s, which is ancient for a thoroughbred racehorse. Yeah. A lot going on here. Really happy that they named a graded stakes race in his honor. Cool, cool racehorse. Going to this year's renewal, I can see Jack and Noah going wire to wire, but I'm looking at this race. High Cruz is going to go early. Mm -hmm. Four left is not going to sit back. Four left is not staying in New York to sit back in a turf sprint. And I'm pretty intrigued that they're trying a turf sprint with four left. The problem is I just don't see him clearing Jack and Noah. However, I see horses like that. I see horses like turned aside, potentially going on suicide missions, trying to keep Jack and Noah honest. I'm using Jack and Noah simply because on the off chance, Jack and Noah goes out there and gets away to a 23 second first quarter. It's done. Lights out. Game game over. Move on to the finale. However, I'm going to use two closers and one of them is a big price. Number four, Old Chestnut, is probably the logical closer. Was third in the circuit off of a layoff. Hasn't won in a while, but going back to the races this horse ran at Woodbine, including a win in Stakes Company back in September, this is a talented racehorse when given the talent to do so. I think the cutback from six to five and a half may actually help this one a little bit and is certainly going to get the setup up front. So I'm throwing Old Chestnut on the ticket, and I'm also going to throw in number seven, Power Up Painter who comes back in off of very short rest for Linda Rice. Rice does this, and she's got pretty good stats. The Daily Racing Forum showing she's 37% in a 19-runner sample with horses coming back off of layoffs of seven days or less. So this can happen. Didn't run too well earlier on in the meet at this route of ground. I'm drawing a line through that race. I think that may very well have been a bounce second off the layoff. The race this horse ran two back, winning an allowance, was pretty darn good. And yes, he got lucky with that race falling apart. Gino, this race could fall apart. Absolutely. A rather tease junior hopping aboard for Linda. At the horse's likely price, I have to at least have it on the ticket. 247 for me in the quick call. Wouldn't be surprised if Jack and Noah goes wire to wire at three to five. Also wouldn't be surprised if his stride starts shortening in that final furlong. I'm going to be using... Uh, the uh, a few horses, but I'm t- I'm going to be taking my swing against Jack and Noah for a lot of the reasons that you said. The one high cruise has got to go. I think from the outside, you're going to get at least some decent pressure from turn to side. And then the real key to the race is is a horse like Four Left, who is very very quick. And as you mentioned, I don't want to see him tracking. I want to see him gunning, going as quick as he can ar- around this distance because th- that's where he has an opportunity to win a race, even if it is going a little too quick. I'm looking to one of the horses you mentioned, Old Chestnut, going to be on my ticket. I'm going to throw in the three, Flapjack. You know, he's he's a little bit interesting. He's adding the blinkers. His lone race on the grass going long was was fine, and he'll have a little bit more punch late in a spot like this. So the three is going to be on my ticket along with the four, along with the eight horse in here. Turned aside, I'll be using turned aside also And I'll probably throw in your seven power of painter I'll be going three or four deep in here Still trying to figure out if I'm going to 
include the seven. I want to include the five. I really do. But like you said, I just can't see. I can't see him winning the race. I could see him making this race be very, very chaotic and very hard for Jack and Noah. So I'll be using at the very least the three, the four, and the eight, and I'll probably throw in the seven after the case you made for Power Up Painter. Because if I'm going against the chalk here, I want to make sure I'm covered heading into my la- uh, the last race, Andrew. Which uh, in race number ten, I'm just going to have a single in here. And I was looking And I, I was thinking about it, ended up going too deep With the one and the three, both the logicals But the more and more I look at this race I like the three uh, in here I, I really do um, I, I thought he ran really, really well Last time out in his second start He hadn't raced from October to June In his debut, he was a fine third It wasn't a bad effort, it was a field of ten And he was beaten five lengths, that was against Maiden Specials Then he comes back, he hasn't raced from October to June Comes in and drops in for Maiden 40s he gets hooked wide all the way around the track He's three deep, he's about three lengths off Sitting in fifth, he makes a wide move Up to take the lead And and he's determined, he's trying Really hard, but he falters late He gets a little bit tired in the stretch He's a clear cut second that day That was his first try in a while His first try against Maiden Claimers I think he's going to be set for his absolute best And just a little bit better trip If he can save some ground now Being in the three hole Instead of being wide in his last couple starts or in his last start, I think he's he's the one to beat. So I'm going to single him, and what that will do is that'll give me the opportunity to try to turn it into a pick four and to be able to use really all the horses that I want to use in front of him because I don't think he's going to be some kind of a short price. He'll probably be splitting money with the rail horse and the way Irad gets bet and and Maker on the drop in class. I would expect the morning line to be pretty close to accurate in this spot. I'm going to go with Brico this, uh, the three as a single to close things out. I like Brico a fair bit in here, and I was really happy to hear that you went that direction as opposed to the one Ain't It Funky Now, because I don't like Ain't It Funky Now, and I feel like I'm supposed to, but the more I'm looking at this race, this horse is taking a drop, and this is sort of the inverse of something we mentioned earlier on in the sequence. When a horse moves up from state-bred maiden claimers to a maiden special weight state-bred event, it's not necessarily a big jump. When a horse drops down from state-bred maiden special weights to a maiden claiming event, it's not that big a drop. It works both ways, and I feel like they're trying to wake up Ain't It Funky Now, who failed as the favorite two starts back at Belmont. Last time out was sort of one-paced, made up a little bit of ground, but he's supposed to make up more ground than he did after they went 45-3 and to the half. I just am not sold on Ain't It Funky Now at his likely price. I think the two-to-one morning line is accurate. I think Brico is going to be the clear-cut second choice, and I think Brico is definitely the horse to beat. Luis Saez makes his first couple of rides of the meet. Remember, he tested positive for COVID. He winds up making his return to the saddle here. He rides for H. James Bond, a very good horseman with not a lot of runners, but he has a tendency to pop at a price at this meet. This is a guy that's trained a lot of very good horses. If you remember Tisway from a couple of years ago, he was very good. Bond had him in his barn. If you remember an old hard-knocking horse from about 20 years ago named Barons, that was an H. James Bond horse. Really cool guy, good horseman, and somebody that doesn't necessarily run a lot of horses, but when he leads one over, he generally means business. And I think Brico is the horse to beat in here. However, there's a couple of runners to the outside that I think have a big chance in here. I'm going to use number six, Nero's Fiddle, at a bit of a price. This horse made a little bit of a move last time out in the debut downstate, 
was 22 to one in that race. Wasn't expected to do a whole heck of a lot of running. Ran a decent fourth. Was beaten about six lengths that day, but adds Lasix in this spot and is eligible to improve second off the bench. Goes from one turn to two turns, but he's got some distance in his pedigree, so that doesn't really concern me. And at his likely price, I think he's a little bit of an overlay. I also need to use a couple of horses on the AE list should they draw in. The one that I really like off the AE list is number 14, KK Ichikawa, who was third in the same race Brico exits. Michelle Nevin doesn't always have first-time starters ready to run, but this one did do some running, rallied to be third, and sort of set a pocket trip and floated way out wide. I think that one got a lot out of the debut run. Another adding Lasix, Junior Alvarado rides back. Lots to like if that one draws in. And I'll also use number 13, Shared Success, if that one does happen to draw in. May have needed the race last time out. Showed some speed down at Belmont. Faded to finish fourth in that same race. Hit the gate at the start. Had to rush up with Rosario aboard. Rosario had a bit of a rough ending to the Belmont meet. But he has come up to Saratoga. And he's come up ready to do some business. So Shared Success, I think, another horse that you need to take a look at. If that one draws in, however, if there are no changes, I'll be using three and six. If there's a couple of scratches, I'll use the 13 and or the 14. It winds up being at most a $48 late pick five tickets. So nothing too overly prohibitive. And I'm leaving off well-bet favorites in the first leg and the last leg. So if we get a bigger price home, this sequence has significant payoff potential. Andrew Champagne, uh, a voice you're going to hear a little bit later on this show when we, along with Darren Zocali, go over a really fun renewal of the Royal Rumble back in 2010 that has one of Andrew's favorite matches between Rey Mysterio Jr. and The Undertaker. Really good one and a very solid rumble. So you'll hear this voice again later on. And for those of you who are more a fan of reading and into the written stuff, you can always follow along with Andrew, uh, andrewchampagne.com. He actually put a lot of the analysis that we just spoke about right now down to paper on the website, andrewchampagne.com. And Andrew, you are doing... These selections again this year for the pink sheet So you are someone who handicaps Every single race, every single Day of the Saratoga meet So if you're looking for someone to follow If you ever need a question About Saratoga, Andrew is a great Resource because, you know, some of us Will take a day or two off or we'll look at the weekend Races here and there, Um, once Saratoga Comes up, you're going to be watching Every single one of them, so I always uh, lean on you When I need, thanks for joining us Again and uh let the folks out there know one more time where we can follow you, social media, and what you got going on uh, coming up. That's a lot right there, Gino. You're That's checking in the mail. You're a heck of a hype That's man. A ton, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, for, for 10 months out of the year, I just sort of plug away and plug away and plug away. These are the two months out of the year that I live for as a handicapper. I get to take my swings against the big boys while working at the Saratogian as part of the pink sheet. I do a lot of stuff for them. If you're in upstate New York, Grab a paper, read the stuff that we're doing. It's a really cool thing that the Pink Sheet is doing, especially given that that's a staff of two full-timers that are essentially putting out three different sports sections. The Saratogian sports section, the Troy Record sports section, and the Pink Sheet. If you think that sounds easy, you've never worked in newspaper production. It's something that I will always be incredibly grateful to have the opportunity to do. Every year I keep hoping it's not the last one, and I'm always incredibly happy when i hear things yep it's a go we're back yay and that's something that i live for literally every year 
It's a fantastic time to be a racing fan. It's a fantastic time to be producing content. You can find mine on Twitter at at Andrew Champagne and andrewchampagne.com. Lots going on. I do a daily bankroll segment. And before I go, I just want to say thank you to anybody that took the time to take a look at some of the stuff that my girlfriend was doing. She's a third grade teacher in Oakland, and she put out a donor's choose project to try to diversify her classroom library. It took less than a week for that project to be fully funded. So if oh, you're out there, news. yeah, it's fantastic. A lot of good people out there, a lot of generous people. If you donated out by any chance, thank you. Know that I love you and appreciate you and know that a whole bunch of third graders certainly appreciate you too. And that's the stuff that, you know, we talk about racing a lot. We talk about wrestling a lot. That's the stuff that makes the world go around, Gino. Uh, especially in a especially in a rough 2020 like that, we need you're things, not kidding. We man. <laughs> need things like that to give us a, a little bit of a smile. So, yeah. Andrew Champagne, my good friend, thank you for taking a half hour out of your time to talk some Saratoga Friday with me. I'm sure we'll link back up uh, at least a couple more times and talk some Saratoga before the meet is over. I'm looking forward to it. Also, Champagne and JD podcast on YouTube. This week's episode, a sit down interview with former trainer Gary Contessa. Nice. A lot of fun, great conversation. Hope you all enjoy it. Andrew Champagne, you heard how to follow him, folks. You're going to hear his voice each and every week here on That's What G Said, and you're going to hear it again a little later on on this episode. Thanks, buddy. Have a great weekend. Let's make some money. You betcha, man. Take it easy. Okay, folks, don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from one of our sponsors. We'll be right back on That's What G Said. Big thank you to Andrew for talking to Friday Saratoga with us. We're going to get over to Friday for Del Mar. Before we do, we want to tell you a little bit about OldSmokeClothing.com. I know you're a horse racing fan. You're listening to the horse racing analysis here. You probably don't see a whole lot of places with horse racing t-shirts and polos and hoodies and long sleeve shirts, zip-ups, hats with horse names or slogans, names of big races. Well, you can get all of that. At OldSmokeClothing.com Show the horse racing fan in you If you are someone that loves to wear horse racing stuff If maybe your friend, uh, family member If you know someone who would be interested Give this a look We got an opportunity to get you a a little help too No shipping when you use the promo code G-I-N-O Use the promo code G-I-N-O And you will get free shipping on your order OldSmokeClothing.com Promo code G-I-N-O will get you free shipping. Give it a look. Show that horse racing fan in you. Get those past performances out for Del Mar Friday, July the 24th. Uh, Let's take a a quick dive through this Del Mar card for Friday. Let's start with race number one. Go to the two horse greedy. This is a horse who, in a pick five situation, I'd probably be singling here. And if he is around five to two, I'd bet him to win. You can go back to when he was claimed He was claimed for 40 by this barn And they immediately took a shot against grade 2 company They've won a couple races They've tried stakes company a bunch of different times And Horse Greedy takes a drop in class This drop makes sense to me For a horse who they've had in their barn for a while They've already picked up what they uh, what they claimed him for And now you come back to Del Mar You get a little bit aggressive You know he's run well over this track You can make excuses for his most recent races Two starts back at Oaklawn Park. It was in the slot, put a line right through it, and then he was sent to the bench from January to June. He probably needed his last start. He was only five to two in that race. He was involved early. He just backed up. He likes this track. He likes this trip. Horse greedy. 
you know, in last time out, you, if you watch the race, he drew the rail versus tougher. First start in four plus months. He was asked for speed early, but he was just in a, a really tough spot inside. He was backing up. He had to back up out of it, and he just couldn't come on again. Tossed that two back race in the slop. Likes Del Mar. Likes the six and a half. Second start off the bench. Horse Greedy is the one for me. The other horse in here would be the other horse is going to take a ton of money, and and that's the number five. But in a pick five situation, I would love to try to get out of this race singling the two and give you the opportunity to really spread out and you know, have a lot of opportunity to catch some prices in the, in the, the next four races. So race number two, I'm looking at the the six burn me twice is my top selection. So burn me twice was just not comfortable inside in his last start. He moved up with dead aim and he he just was flat. He couldn't go on with it and he got a sl- and now you have the slight cutback. That was his first try in three months and now he's going to be a little bit sharper. It's it was one of those things that um you're you're watching and. Early on, it's like yeah, he's not getting the greatest trip. He's not. He's got a couple other horses to the to the outside, and then he just gets a, a great split. Looks like he's gonna blow by. I just think that seven furlongs a little too far. You get that slight cutback with the second off the short little break. He's gonna be much much tighter today. I think he's gonna come running. He feels to me like the one to beat in here. Probably include the one Papa Turf flashing speed from the rail. Let's go to race number three. And I'm going to make the seven catch the eye. A horse who's really sharp, who should not be too far out of it. That'll be that'll be my top selection in here. Catch the eye. Make sure to throw this filly in some of your exotics. And just, just key off the last four races. Overall, the turf form is, is really sneaky. Pretty impressive visually last out on, uh, on June the 5th. The three border town logical was chasing lone speed last time out. It looks like the five bold endeavor is going to be scratched out of this spot. I believe he's also entered in a spot on Saturday. So uh, the five was a horse that I was looking towards. And what is sort of interesting now with the scratch of the five, there is not a ton of speed in this race at all. And maybe you upgrade the six North County guy a little bit. I thought that bold endeavor would be pretty close to the lead but yeah maybe the the six just kind of ends up there in a race that's just not really got much speed at all on paper so i probably go three six seven now with no five bold endeavor the fourth race is a, a race where we already have a scratch of the three warren showtime the So now we're going to have a field of four. This, in a pick five situation, is an all kind of a race to me. You have been studying her who could win this race from the rail. You have Smiling Shirley who could win this race. You have Big Sweep who could win this race. And it's going to be a field of four. I would just press all and use the four of them in the pick five. Especially if you're able to single in, in race number one with the deuce or it's greedy. Race number five, I'll use three horses in the Rolling Exotics. The two, Quirrell, the nine, Bulletproof One, who's a Bulletproof One who's really quick, and the six-horse Amuse is going to be my top selection. 
I think this is a great spot for a muse She came off the very long layoff On June the 14th And she was a fine third In a race that came back to Produced the next out winner that was going a mile on the turf She got back to a sprint race And she was behind Bellafina in, in a grade 2 stakes Now she's going to go into a turf sprint And I think this is just a really great spot For a muse So I'm going to make her the top selection We will use 2, 6, and 9 Play a pick 5 that looks something like Singling the 2 in race number 1 With the 1 and the 6 With the 3, 6, 7 With all with 2, 6, 9 Let's get to race number 7 I'm going to skip the 6th race Because I don't really love it And it's kind of one of those in-between races In the exotics If you're a pick 6 player You can play there I generally don't play the pick 6 as much anymore Unless it's a carryover But I don't mind playing a $2 pick 6 I just hate those jackpot pick 6's Unless you're playing for the mandatory Couple that we're looking at in race number 7 The 6 is Offshore Affair And he just ran a bang up race Last out He had not run from January of 2019 To June of 2020 Legit year and a half And he It was a really nice race He pressed, he loomed up, he needed the race Now he's had plenty of time to recover Since over a month from that big effort I think you have to use him in all of your exotics And I'm probably only going to end up using Two, maybe three horses here In some of the exotics It would be the 6, 10, and the 11 And the 6 being my top selection Preacher Trainer is the one to beat I thought that you talking about practice was was really impressive uh, In the, uh, the wire-to-wire score On June the 20th so it would be 6 on top for me I'll use 6, 11 in all the exotics And then 6, 10, and 11 In uh, in, in some of the other exotics Let's move along to race number 8 This is a group of maiden 2 year old fillies $50,000 cowbreds I thought the 5 The Paul Aguirre, Big Mama Sue Super live in here uh, Dam was quick, won her second start All the success sprinting, she was stakes placed So I'll be using the 5 Along with some other logicals The 6, Stars of Bluegrass The 8, September Secret And the 9, Mucha Woman 5, 6, 8, and 9 for me In race number 8 Let's move along to race number 9 I'm going to make the 6 Jojo Affair the the top selection I just feel like she's going to get a perfect trip in here With a couple of speeds to sit off uh, So Jojo Air Is the top selection Must use in all of your exotics I will also give looks to The one Lighthouse who's got some sharp inside speed The seven storming lady She was five lengths off And in between horses And she just really never seemed comfortable She was bumping around She chased a wire to wire winner I think she deserves another shot right back The nine artistic diva Back to the grass She's drawn well if she wants to press From that outside post position So one ticket I will single the six Jojo air Another ticket I'll end up spreading out And use the one, six, seven, and nine Get you to race number 10 Top selection is going to be the number 4 of First timer Solitaire Whose dam was 5 for 10 And a grade 3 winner Produced 7 foals 5 of them won Combined 563,000 This is a barn that can fire With first timers and young horses Super capable Make sure to use the number 4 Solitaire in all of your exotics I will use Along with the 3 Enrich my Deb the six 
Foxy Carmella, the 10 and 11. So 3, 4, 6, 10, and 11. They're in race number 10. And then to close things out, we get to race number 11. They're making up for the canceled days of last weekend. So there are extra races, extra stakes. You'll see some big fields and big cards at Del Mar all this weekend. It's going to be four City Rage on the tickets to close things out. The six Eastern Ocean as a a lightly raced up and coming three year old is going to be facing older, but I like what he's done, especially his race is going long on the grass. The eight success and surpass is probably the one to beat blinkers on, and then the twelve will uh, will also be in all exotic. So I'll play a couple pick fives. They'll probably look something like this in the seventh race. One will be six ten eleven with five six eight nine. With six, with three, four, six, ten, eleven, with four, six, eight, twelve, and then the other one will be six, eleven, with five, six, nine, with one, six, seven, nine, with four, six, eleven, with six, eight, twelve. Good luck on Friday at Del Mar. So if you're playing Friday at Del Mar, they do have a stable duel competition. We've talked all about stable duel on the show. You can get involved in all sorts of different contests at all sorts of different racetracks, and this is going to be the first time Del Mar has a, a contest that you can play. So once you've downloaded the Stable Duel app, and, and once you've loaded up and deposited and you've entered the contest, we are now to the point where, where we are building our lineup. And in race number one at Del Mar, I'm okay with spending up. I think it's got to be Horse Grady, who who I like, and I'd single. And I'd be okay with using Fabozzi as the other one. It's a short field. I think those are the two horses. I want to get some points with one of them early on the board. I'm going to go burn me twice in race number two. Again, this is another race that early on, I don't mind spending up. It's going to be another short field. The eight, Tis Love, is scratched. So you have a field of seven here. You want to get some early points. I like some longer shots later where we don't have to spend as much. Like in race number three with Catch the Eye at 750. If you want to spend up a little bit, it would be North County guy who's now going to get that pace advantage, or it would be Border Town. But I'm going to shorten up here with Catch the Eye. Another short field in race number four feels like a big sweep is probably the one to use. It's just going to be a small field now, so big sweep will get us some points here in this field of four. Race number five, I, I mentioned a Muse, who we like a little bit. Corel, if you want to spend a little more towards the outside, Bulletproof one, which is nice. You'll get some speed there. But at five thousand, I like a Muse at that price. In race number six, on a card with eleven races, I talked about every race but the the sixth, so I'll skip that race because I don't have as strong of an, an opinion in it. I will use the six offshore affair in race number seven at three thousand. You want to spend up a little bit, it would be you talking about practice at 5,000 or preaching trainer at 7,500. In the eighth race, I like the five Big Mama Sue. The first are only cost you 1,000 in there. Other ones to look at would be the nine Mucha Woman at 5,000, the eight September Secret at 7,500, but Big Mama Sue at 1,000. That'll help give you an opportunity to really spend up in, uh, in some other spots. I think Storm and Lady is better than what we saw last time out. I'm going to give Storm and Lady a chance back at 3,000. JoJo Air is a horse who I really like. 7,500 is fine, but I think in this kind of a race, I don't mind shortening up a little bit with Storming Lady at 3,000. 
first timer solitaire another one at 3000 that i can uh, i can use so solitaire i'll be using foxy carmella solitaire's only 3000 foxy carmella's only 750 if you uh, if you like foxy carmella polar routes only 1000 this is a race where i don't think you really need to spend and and then in race number 11 I will spend up a little bit because I think the eight success and surpass is going to be very, very tough. The twelve madmen would be the other if I'm going to spend up. City Rage I would also give a look to, and if you don't have a ton, if you spent all your your money, you only have a little left. Maybe it's Easter Ocean for you at five hundred. Don't forget to get your lineups in for Del Mar's Friday Stable Duel contest. One of the three tracks you can play. Download that Stable Duel app for all the info. If you have any questions at all, just let me know. I'd love to help you out. One of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast is Cindy Carava, full-service realtor. And I am here over in Glendora at Coldwell Banker with Cindy Carava. Cindy, how was 2019 for you? Tell us uh, a little bit about what, uh, what kind of stuff you were working on. Hi, Gino. Thanks for having me. Uh, 2019 was just really great. Uh, I had a great year uh, selling homes all the way from Altadena, Arcadia, Monrovia, out to Upland and Ontario just recently. Um, The market has has been uh, really good. Um, We're looking forward to 2020 with an increase in home prices about 5.8% this year, opposed to last year where it was a little softer. We saw uh, more like homes averaging about 3.5% in increase in value. Um, It's also looking great for buyers. Uh, The interest rates right now are going to be staying under 4%. So if you've been on the fence about thinking about buying a home, Home, now is the time to do so with interest rates still staying low. And you offer more services than just the buying, selling, and leasing homes. Tell us about some of the other services that you offer and what a full service realtor really is. So you're right, Gino. Besides me being uh, a full-service realtor of uh, finding properties for my clients to buy or selling their homes or finding rentals for them, um, I also have a plethora of resources like uh, handyman, contractors, electricians, plumbers. Uh, I even, if like I said, if you're thinking about getting a home loan, I actually work with two great lenders that I can recommend to anybody. And you're all over the internet, social media, websites. Let us know some of the places where we can find you. I know I've seen some reviews on Yelp and on Zillow. They, everyone always has positive things to say. Everybody hears me raving about you all the time. But where can uh, everyone else find out information about you or contact? Thank you, Gino. Yeah, I am on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, and uh, you can contact me on my website, which is www.cindycarava.com. Or my email, which is cindyc.realtor at gmail.com. Or feel free to call or text me on my cell phone, which is 626-394-6400. Cindy is awesome. She's one of the kindest and most genuine people I've ever met. I promise you, you will enjoy every minute you interact with her. So thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, Appreciate all of your support from That's What She Said podcast. Thank you, Gino. Have a great day, everyone. Let's talk some Saturday racing, and let's start over at Saratoga. And we're going to go to the late pick five at Saratoga. So let's go to race number seven for the late pick five sequence. And let's begin with... The number three, Don Juan Kitten. I think if you go race by race in his career, you're able to see a horse who's been pretty good in four starts. He won his career debut, and then he comes back in his second start. 
He's sitting off from the outside. He's in sixth, seventh. He's three deep, so he's hooked wide. He's about five lengths off. And he drops back to about seven lengths off. He makes a big five wide move up to take the lead at the top of the lane. He tires late after a wide trip. The runner up pixelate. That's a multiple graded stakes place horse. It was a good effort. Then he comes back on May the 2nd. It's his first start in six plus months. And he's in the two path. He's in between horses. He's in fifth. He's a couple lengths off. He's in tight. He wanted to go. He has a three wide bid up to challenge at the top of the lane. And he faded. It was a race that he needed. Most recent start, he's facing first level allowance company in a very similar spot. He stalks, he pounds, he just misses behind domestic spending, who finishes third next out in the grade two Hall of Fame. I think Don Juan Kitten has the opportunity in a race that has a lot of speed on paper to sit third or fourth and get the jump on some of the deep closers in here. The other two horses I'm going to use in the pick five are Perjury Trap and Lonesome Fugitive. Guess guess who trains these two? Chad Brown. Perjury Trap, who you saw beat Gufo last time we saw Perjury Trap, which was in November, but the the layoff doesn't concern me for Chad Brown, and if there's any improvement at all for Perjury Trap, he'll be really tough in here. The one to beat is Lonesome Fugitive, who came running and mowed him down last time out in a race that has already come back live with Mr. Jaggers returning to win, so those will be the three for me. It'll be the eight Lonesome Fugitive, the six Perjury Trap, and the four or excuse me, in the three, Don Juan Kitten, three, six, eight, in race number seven at Saratoga. Let's move to race number eight, and I'm going to use two horses in here. The, and and we'll get three if, if the, we get the two for one action with the entry. The 1A Money Moves, who has been really impressive in both of his starts. Money Moves, had a good start from the rail. He was close up second inside. He was battling early. Then he took back. He sat about a half length off at the top of the lane. He was inside with three others lined up outside. They just put him all away. And it was pretty impressive to sit in the pressure in tight. Beat a horse named Sprawl who came back to beat locally owned. Who actually is going to be my top selection. I'm going to use these two. Money moves and locally owned. If you want to use a horse like Prioritize, I will... I'm not going to talk you off him. I just think Money Moves is probably the most talented, and I think Locally Owned is really on the upswing right now. It should have no problem going this far. It can run all day. Money Moves, Locally Owned, those are the two for me in race number eight. In the ninth race, um, I'll be looking at a couple. I do think Barley One is logical and usable on the improve. Could be set for the best third start of the form cycle. So I'll be using that one. Um, I will be using simply logical at the level. Debut winner was in tight at the start last time out. Was shuffled from the inside. Was all the way back to pretty much dead last. Was 11th of 12, but was 15 off of it. Moved in, kind of weaving through traffic. Closed really well late. So simply's on the ticket. Barley one's on the ticket. Mo ready. Get a first time gelding that hasn't raced since December. The last two times we saw him, he was facing open company. It's Pletcher off the bench, so we don't worry about the layoff. And then Alby would be the other one. Was not asked early. Was back to 6th or 7th. About 6-7 lengths off. Was 3 wide all the way around. Chasing a lone speed winner. Is more tactical speed than he showed last time out. And going from 7 furlongs back to a mile and a 16th. Should be able to secure a nice spot. Maybe sitting 3rd or 4th. Saving some ground. So Mo Ready, Simply, Albi, Barley 1. Those will be the 4 we use 
in exotics. Up next, it's the Grade 1 Vanderbilt, and we're going to see a horse who has been one of the most impressive horses in training so far this year. That is Volatile, and Volatile is 4 for 5 overall in his career. His one defeat came when he finished second behind Bourbon Calling. This is a nice animal. He has been awesome in his last few. He is no doubt the horse to beat, and he is probably the horse to catch. There is not a lot of speed in here. He's more of a presser, but he probably just ends up on the lead. I'm going to use Volatile, and along with Volatile, I'm going to use Forensic Fire. Forensic Fire was in the Jason Service Barn, and we weren't sure what to expect from him when he left the Jason Service Barn. He hit a sloppy track in the Carter. I think you can just toss that race. And he came back and he ran really well against a softer group, and he did what he's supposed to do. If he takes one more step forward and gets back to the level of some of his top races... He is able to compete with the horse like Volatile. And I don't know if anyone else in here is. I don't think there's a lot of speed, so I'm against Whitmore. I love Whitmore as a horse. He's a really nice animal. I'm just not sure this is the right kind of setup for him. Lexitonian drawing the rail won't be easy with others pressing. To me, it's Volatile, Frenzy Fire, and then the wild card in the race is Mind Control. What are we going to do with him? Read in a DRF article, he's going to be trying to win in his a grade one for the third consecutive season at Saratoga, which has never been done before. Horses have won three grade ones, but never a grade one in three different years. Mind Control will try to do that with his outside draw. Is he good enough, though? Is he still improving, or has he hit his peak? If he's hit his peak, he may not be good enough to compete with a couple of the top horses in here. It's not a big field, but it's an interesting, contentious group, and we have a super talented horse, Volatile, to take a look at in race number 10. I'm just going to be using probably two. It'll just probably be Volatile and Forensic Fire for me. So yeah, I, I, I wish there was a really speed demon type horse, and I would I would single that one and, and try to beat everyone else in here. I just think Volatile probably ends up right on the lead, and Frenzy Fire maybe has a big race in him to uh, to be able to to hang with the uh, with volatile, so let's use the three and let's use the four. If you want to go a little deeper, my next horse would be the five, mind control. Closing things out at Saratoga in race number eleven, I will single the five timeless journey on one ticket. He was buried. She was buried on the inside towards the rear in her debut. She had nowhere to go. She moved to the two-path. She was just absolutely surrounded on all sides. Never got a shot to run. Now you get a drop in class. And the third-place finisher in the race she comes out of has come back to win a New York Bread Maiden Special Weight at Saratoga. This barn is firing. They are rolling. Make sure to use the five in all of your exotics. And I'll probably play one ticket where I single the five. Timeless Journey. Others that I would uh, look to include in here. The... Maybe Micro Million first time turf, but uh, I'm not as big of a fan of Micro Million here. Uh, Brovia, who had a tough trip on the inside, was tucked behind the leaders, got shuffled, had nowhere to go, was in tight. That would be the next horse I look to. Baby Girl has an opportunity to try and steal this race, uh, stretching out. Baby Girl catches a field that does not have a ton of speed on paper. I think that's another one to include. And go zap them if you're going to be spreading out a little bit too. Uh, another one I look to, Frenchie Frau. Frau would be another one. So once we get past Timeless Journey, the five who all single on one ticket, it would be five 
7, 10, 11 at the very least. So, some quick overview on that uh, late pick 5 sequence, uh, starting in race number 7, something like 3, 6, 8, with 1, 8, with 2, 3, 4, 7, with 3, 4, 5, with 5, 3, 6, 8, with 1, 8, with 2, 3, 4, 7, with 3, 4, with 5, 7, 10, 11. Play a couple different tickets like that at Saratoga on Saturday. Let's get over to Del Mar for Saturday. Let's get you race number one, Saturday, Del Mar, July the 25th. The two-horse Gone Rogue going to try the, the turf for the first time. The damn summer solo was three for four on the turf. Grade one placed, was third in the Belmont Oaks. She's produced two foals. They've both won. And only one of them tried the turf, though, was 0 for 2 on the grass. I'll be using the 2 in the early pick 5. How about the 5? Big Talker. This is the first time starter for Tim Yakteen. This is the 2-year-old daughter. This is the 2-year-old son of Not Unusual, the dam. And she has produced... She was 2 for 9 on the grass. She's produced 4 foals. They've all won. Unusually big is 11 for 57, one on the grass. Big score is 4 for 19, has earned 643,000 and is a graded stakes winner. And Macho Unusual is 4 for 14, has earned 507,000 and is a graded stakes winner. This is a nice dam that's produced, that produces and has produced some runners. Big Talker looks like another one that's a runner. I think the 6 Kaizen makes sense in here. The dam was a grade 1 winner going long on the grass. And was a multiple group stakes winner. The seven in here, Flint Stroll, has a race of experience under her belt that could go uh, under his belt that could go a long way in a group like this with uh, horses who don't have a ton of experience. Flint Stroll has already been long on the grass, and the dam was a three-time winner on the grass and a Grade Three winner, so has uh, the right to be a nice one. We use two, five, six, and seven. In race number one to kick off that pick five Gonna single in race number two With the three here I do think this is a talented Colt Ragtime Blues He was second in the Barrera behind Collusion Illusion Who's a nice, really nice one And Collusion Illusion has done little wrong In his career He can sit off the pace a little bit And I just think he's the best horse in here You'd imagine the horse from the rail will probably show a little speed Annie's boy, thanks Mr. Edison Is not uh, exactly Slow My major concern with Ragtime Blues Is can he really sit I think he can, he did in his debut He's just been handled Like he was the best horse and they got aggressive With him in his last couple The cutback from 6.5 to 6 furlong should really help Ragtime Blues So let's just single Ragtime Blues The number 3 in race number 2 in the third race, I'll be spreading out in here. The seven, Botanico, sat third and then got caught in between horses last out. Was three wide at the top of the lane and was behind, ended up finishing behind Axeman, four to five in that race, and Multiplier, who was six to five in that race. The one, Kershaw, close up, likes Del Mar, likes the mile. Hopefully, he doesn't get some back stiffness like old CK did on the opening day. Dark Vader looks like the one to beat The three, the six Lambo is big speed The five unbroken star is a sharp horse At the uh, at the moment and on the upswing So one, three, five, six, and seven There in race number three The fourth race I'm 
I'm looking at this race, at, you know, and, and it goes through the Baffert. So you have Marinth and you have Provocation. They are two that you would think probably won't be dueling and battling. But if those two hook up and maybe they get a little bit of pace pressure from, you know, one or two others in here, uh, Affianced maybe, Secret Keeper doesn't have to be too far out of it. I think Hyon Jin from the outside, horse who's a multiple winner. Uh, a horse who has experience If they go quick early I think Hyun Jin can run them down late Let's use the 2, the 3, and the 7 In race number 4 In the 5th race to close out the pick 5 It's going to be 1, 6, and 7 I think Unicorn should sit close Save all the ground from the inside The 6 Sutro If you just key off her form going long on the grass And you dig a little bit And make excuses and put lines through And cross out some of the other races She's overall pretty consistent The 7 looks like the horse to beat That's pretty point So we'll go 1, 6, and 7 in race number 5 So that early pick 5 at Del Mar For Saturday Race 1, 2, 5, 6, 7 Single the 3 in race 2 With 1, 3, 5, 6, 7 in race 3 With 2, 3, 7 in race 4 With 1, 6, 7 in race number 5 We move to race number 6 And take a look at the 2 in here, the son of Grayson. This is Father O'Flaherty, whose damn crushed at Del Mar on the synthetic and was multiple six placed. The lone sibling, two for five. A local work for the two. A capable first out barn. Make sure to put a few bucks on Father O'Flaherty if we get anything over seven to two. So. The approach that I'll have to the late pick five Will be spread out, spread out, spread out And then short in the last two And depending on how short you want to go So race number seven to me Won't spend a ton of time on it But uh, because I I'm, I'm, don't have a strong opinion I think the two for a really good first out barn With some quick, quick works Has to be included I'm throwing the five in on my tickets Mystery man who has every right to improve now on the grass and hook that the nice Baffert Cezanne in a really deductive race so far. The four will be on some tickets. Obviously, a super logical contender there. Absolute unit with just beating a nose last time out. The so two, four, five, nine, ten, and eleven spreading out here. A couple price horses to include. A couple logical horses there. In to me, what looks like a, a difficult race to get a real strong opinion on. We move to race number eight. I'll be using the deuce in here It's that time The 3, 9, and 10 will be on the ticket So 2, 3, 9, and 10 in race number 8 The you know 2, 3, Hidden Promise Who has the races at Churchill and Oaklawn That are really solid Seems like a nice fit in, at this level And... Then towards the outside with the, the nine drip and sauce recent winner Zimba Warrior should come running on the turn back in distance two three nine ten in race number eight we move to race number nine this is the the San Clemente and I think the three Laura's light showed that she can sit last time out I was against her and she proved me wrong so I will include her in here the four. Over attracted second time in North America, second time in the U.S. Over attracted should improve and should step forward coming out of a productive live race at Santa Anita on June the 12th. The 9 and 11 will both be on the ticket. Warren's Showtime, who 
has been scratched It looks like for this spot And the 11 Apple Cross Who The debut in the US On September the 2nd of 2019 Was good And then came back and hooked alms In the Jimmy Durante Really really sharp alms There's a little bit more to Apple's Cross Uh, She's going to have to work out a trip from, From way out there But don't Dismiss the 11 3, 4, 9, 11. What do we do in race number 10 With maximum security Now in the barn of Baffert A horse who We know has been a part of a, a barn that Was using performance enhancing drugs For their horses I, I mean he's in the Baffert barn He's training well He's the one to catch Midcourt to me is the in- intriguing horse to use in here. I think we can safely excuse the mile and a quarter races. Maybe he just doesn't want to go that far. I mean, this, in the big cap, he was right there. He looked like he was done, and he kept fighting all the way. And he just didn't run well last time out. He just didn't fire at all after a, a slow start. I think with the race under his belt, I would give him a slight advantage over maximum security, and those would be the two horses that I use in here. Two to the outside Higher power, sure he can win But I think it's going to be maximum security going I think midcourt shouldn't be too far off I hope he presses right behind him I could see them running 1-2 all the way around the track 5-6 and six In race number 10 And then in race number 11 There's only two horses that I'm going to be looking at The 8, Sasser B But the 5, I'm going to single... Good things come in pink In a few different spots Coming off of that third place effort I talked about Sutro I think is a, a nice one Who's running a little bit earlier on the card And now you're going to go third start Off the long long layoff A slight step forward Slight improvement Gets the job done for the five And I think she's ready for that slight improvement So that'll be a single on uh, on some tickets and you know in the 7th race we can spread out and use 2 4 5 9 10 11 with 2 3 9 10 with 3 4 9 11 with 5 6 with the 5 singled it's a late pick 5 there at Delmar on Saturday best of luck in all of your Saturday wagers now it's time to get to some wrestling What's our old wrestling recap? We're going to go to 2010 for the Royal Rumble. Darren Zocali and Andrew Champagne join me. Kick back and enjoy as we go match by match. We go through the commentary. We go through every participant in the Royal Rumble. All the storylines leading up. What happened before? What happened after? It's the old wrestling rewatch. Just wanted to remind you about one of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, Sarah Candle Company. Visit sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A candles.com. Use the promo code G-I-N-O for 10% off of your entire purchase. These are all natural soy wax candle. They candles, they burn longer. They are better for you than the candles out there that have that traditional paraffin wax. I know the people from this company personally. I've grown up with them my whole life. They love candles. And the goal was to, to have an affordable candle that everyone can. Enjoy, use that promo code G-I-N-O My favorite 
is Fresh Roses. The Fresh Roses scent is awesome. If you're a horse racing fan, they got Del Mar in there. You ever want to know what Del Mar smells like, but you couldn't make it out there? Order your candle right now from Sarah Candle Company, the website, C-E-R-A Candles.com. SarahCandles.com, promo code G-I-N-O for 10% off your purchase. This week, our old wrestling rewatch it actually takes us to the most recent of our rewatches. When I say our, I'm talking about Darren Zocali, Andrew Champagne, joining me every week uh, where we do the old wrestling rewatch. It started out where we were we were initially just kind of going back through some of the WrestleManias, and then we turned it into uh, when we've been doing this every week through the pandemic without without uh, a whole lot else going on. We turned it into kind of a fun. Um, one where we would take turns selecting and then have to uh, recap each one of our selections. And uh, this week it was Andrew's selection. Andrew, gotta say, r- really good top to bottom show. And when we talk about Royal Rumbles, the Royal Rumble event itself is really what each Royal Rumble is about. This one, when you check off a couple things to me that are good Royal Rumbles, how are there are a lot of different legitimate contenders. Are there good storylines going in? We have the Shawn Michaels, you know, it feels like it's going to be Shawn Michaels rumble because he's trying so desperately to get back in that rematch with The Undertaker. But there are maybe eight or ten guys who feel like they legitimately could win this thing. I really, really love the rumble itself and a couple decent undercard matches. Decent, I well, think, yeah, sells yeah. one of the right, matches. Exactly. Very yeah, no, short. The one of them is very good. Yes. Hidden yes. classic. It's such a good match. And I'm looking forward to discussion Taker Mysterio. But you're right. A lot of things going on in the Rumble. A lot of people have a lot of stuff to do. And I feel like you can break the Rumble up into three or four segments really easily. The first third of the match is CM Punk's shtick mm-hmm. with the Straight Edge Society. That's always a good time. The middle block is when the ring starts to fill up a little bit. That's the only time that it starts to fill up. But then you get Shawn Michaels at 18, John Cena at 19, and business starts to pick up again. And then you get the big surprise return at the end. For my money, it's not the best Royal Rumble out there. To me, Flair's Rumble is head and shoulders above everything else. I think this has a strong case for being the second best Rumble WWE ever did. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I thought it was an excellent show. Uh, the Taker Mysterio match is a match that I forgot how uh, much fun it was. Mm-hmm, um, I, I don't remember watching it back if I believe that there was any chance that Mysterio was actually going to win. Um, but it, but I did enjoy the match watching it back, uh, to say the least. Uh, you know, on top of that, I would say the. You know, the whole Randy Orton thing was kind of cool. I, I love, I really love Randy back then. When he, I mean, you could always say that Randy sometimes seems like he's in another world with some of the things he does. But I, I thought at this point of his career, he was really honed into that character where you never knew where he was going to go. And, and in some ways, he's still like that. But at this point of his career, you know, just that, that whole Viper and Snake thing was, was really at its apex and, and, I really enjoyed Randy Orton at, the, at this point of his career. Uh, and to be honest with you, I thought I thought even the uh, the Miz MVP match was pretty good. Sure, I didn't um, mind the opener either. I, Christian yeah. works really hard in that opener. You know, Zeke isn't the best in the ring, but but Christian does a really good job. He makes that match above average match. So 
when now we're talking about a good title match between Mysterio there, the the Orton stuff was more about the angle moving forward than it was the match, which it which wasn't bad. Um, and, and then the Miz MVP, they, those guys had a good little feud and they worked hard. And the opener's not bad, so now we're we're talking about an entire show again that's got nothing bad and and a good rumble and a fun surprise at the end. So from yeah, from top to bottom, this is. You mentioned I agree with you in that I forgot how fun the Taker Mysterio match is. And Andrew, this was I know this was one of the reasons you picked this show in particular, maybe even the reason. Uh, but I forgot just in general how good of a rumble and just a good of a show this was from top to bottom. So yeah, we can get right into Royal Rumble 2010. So this is January 31st, 2010. We're in Atlanta, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia at the Phillips Arena, and the. Video package to get things started Who will be the one And the int- the intro package is all about The rumble and, and then we get The little little setup for Sheamus Versus Orton, little setup for Rey Mysterio Versus Taker And uh, that major storyline In the rumble, the big one is that Shawn Michaels who had that Epic match with The Undertaker at Wrestlemania the year before He is trying to win the Royal Rumble So he can Go face The Undertaker in a rematch at WrestleMania. We know we'll see The Undertaker fighting against Rey Mysterio for his title. It's Michael Cole, it's Jerry the King Lawler, and it's uh, Matt Stryker to set up the night. Here's what I'll say, uh, Andrew. I know we've talked a, a few times before about Matt Stryker, and he's he's one that's a, a, a really interesting guy to talk about because he he has a place and and he actually is very good he has a lot of really really good information it's sometimes when he tries to get too cute and too much of a color guy where he says things and he feels like he puts his foot in his mouth as far as calling the moves addressing wrestlers storylines and stuff he did a really good job in when he had to do New Japan stuff with Jim Ross um, When I watched Wrestle Kingdom He had some really good stuff that he did in, in Lucha Underground And he knows the history of the sport He knows wrestlers from all over It's it's almost like he tries to do too much I think and get a little too cute And that's when he just gets himself in trouble Here's the thing with Matt Stryker He might be the most inconsistent announcer in wrestling right, right now No, you're right When he is good he is excellent. A majority of his Lucha Underground stuff that he did was phenomenal. When you consider the stuff he was tasked with as far as trying to make sense of some storylines that were really far out there, it's an excellent job. And when he's good in WWE, he's very good. The problem is when he's bad, he is unlistenable. Mm-hmm. And... WWE knew they had a prospect on their hands in the announcer's booth because they put him on an ECW and he was legitimately turning heads with some of the stuff that he did. They brought him to SmackDown and by all accounts, this is when Vince McMahon started getting in his ear. Some announcers do a great job of tuning that out. You can tell Matt Stryker did not, especially because he was out of WWE not very long after he was considered one of the up-and-coming announcers within the company. Here, this show, he's got some really good moments. He's got some head-scratchers, too, and we'll get into a bunch of both of those. Yeah. Where'd you stand on Stryker, DZ? Yeah, I liked him. Uh, you know, I, I just thought he was different than what you normally heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it, it was kind of, it kind of sounded like, you know, your local wrestling fan at times who really knew, you know, his stuff about wrestling was just in there kind of shooting the shit with the guys, mm-hmm. which I actually kind of like. I like yeah. that angle. I like that appeal about him. I do too. Very knowledgeable. But like you said, t- there were times that he could go off the rails and, and, but then there were times that, that he could be, you know, funny as well. I mean, he, he had a line uh, during this Royal Rumble. I, I think it was during the second match, if I'm not mistaken, where they were talking about momentum. And he's like, yeah, man, they got the big go, the big Mo going. And I'm not talking about uh, the big Oscar or the big Mabel. I'm talking about <laughs> you know, just like funny stuff like that. It's that, like that a, a fan. Awesome. Yeah, the fan in him. And he, yeah. he'll he'll say the mark out moment thing. And, I, yeah, I, I was really impressed with him, as Andrew said, even after WWF or WWE, when you get to see – Guys maybe get a little more freedom In the way they call things like doing the new Japan Shows when they were they were it was the first Time they were actually or one Of the first times they were calling them in English So it was a not the easiest Thing to try to introduce this Entire new sort of Product a lot of these new wrestlers that I didn't know and other people didn't know And were I was watching some of the show One of the shows because it was him and JR and I was like oh, Okay if it's JR calling it, then at least I'll kind of understand what's going to happen. So I'm going to watch it. And Jeff Jarrett was broadcasting it on pay per view. So it was e- easier to see. And, and he did an awesome job there. And I really was impressed with him in Lucha. It's just, I think we all hit it. It's like, there are some times where it's like, where's he going? Or that was just odd. Or, you know, a few, cr- like just some cringe moment, moment things. It, it's hard when you're on live TV. They can't all be hits, but he definitely swings and misses a good amount. When he, when he hits the ball, though, it's a, it's always a, a scorcher. I, I really, you know, he, he's as Andrew said, inconsistent is probably the best word to describe him. Let's yeah, get in- there's one thing really quickly. I sure. need to bring this up because I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to. The all-time cringeworthy Matt Stryker moment came, I believe, in the second season of Lucha Underground. They were doing their Aztec Warfare match, which was their take on the Royal Rumble. Guy comes in every two minutes or whatever. Everybody gets an entrance. You can actually get eliminated by being pinned or being made Mm -hmm. to submit. It's a great match, by the way. And if you want a lesson on how to establish a heel from day one, look at what they did in that match with Matanza. But that's not why I bring the match up. They brought out Masquerita Sagrada. And Masquerita Sagrada, for those of you who may not be familiar with Lucha Underground or Lucha Libre, is a little person. So they bring him out, the crowd pops, and Matt Stryker, in his infinite wisdom, says, and I'm quoting here, they call him a paragraph because he's too short to be an essay. <laughs> now, mind Just... you, Lucha Underground is pre-taped. They had the chance to screen this and, and take this out. And they didn't cut it and out. And they did it. it just... And just watching that match, I've seen it a bunch of times. It's probably my favorite Lucha Underground match. You know it's coming. You know it's coming. And then it happens, and it always stings just a little <laughs> bit. That's the essence of bad match striker. And I wanted to point that out before we go too much further because that makes some of the stuff that we're probably going to hit make a little bit more sense. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Uh, we're ready for our kickoff match of the night. ECW championship on the line. Christian, your ECW champion versus Ezekiel Jackson with William Regal. And uh, King says, I'm a peep. Just right early on in the in the show, which is funny. And Stryker said, a peep is one of those yellow marshmallow things. You know, they're, they're, bat- they're battling about that early. The announcers are also discussing the impact of William Regal in the corner of Ezekiel Elliott. And they talk about how Zeke is actually very smart. He went to Columbia Law School. 
too. So he's more than just a big man. He is a big man. He's got a good big man. Look, 309 pounds, 23-inch arms, 52-inch chest. When Stryker says, though, uh, this is one of his good lines on the night. Um, One thing Zeke does not have is the 15 pounds of pure silver and platinum, the ECW title. So it's all Zeke early. And then Christian slaps him And then goes running playing a little cat and mouse Christian really works well On this match it's in matches like This where Christian Rises to the top sure he can Work in good matches against other good Wrestlers and with edge and tag matches That are fun and people talk about edge a lot And they don't really hold Christian in high regard But you forget about what a good Just solid guy in the ring He was he really really Was and um, you know Zig, Zeke's big wind up right arms They look powerful And so we're getting you know It's it's a well smartly booked match You're getting the power of Zeke And Christian's kind of playing cat and mouse Doing some sort of veteran you know tricks here and there Zeke tosses Christian into the ring steps And the crowd uh, tries to, to pump Christian back up They're pretty into it Zeke slows it down I thought it was a really solid back and forth um, And you know they're trading punches. Zeke gets Christian on the back, and we get to the, towards the end of the match. Christian hits an elbow off the top, then a missile drop kick off the top. He misses a headbutt. Uh, Zeke with a clothesline and a two count, and then Christian with an awesome tilt the world DDT off the top rope. He hits the he goes for the kill switch. That that's what he's trying to do a few times. They don't know if he's going to be able to to get the big man over and, and turn him over and. and be able to outstrength him, but because uh, he keeps powering out, Christian locks in a sleeper. I do like that. Uh, Striker mentions that the str- the sleeper has had a resurgence at the time because of Dolph Ziggler, and then you get a quick counter of a power move into the kill switch. Fine match, Christian, a really good worker. Darren, we'll start with you. Uh, what'd you think of this opener? Yeah, I mean, considering Zeke's you know limited in ring prowess, I thought I thought it would have exceeded my expectations. Um, I don't really remember my opinion of the match when I watched it at the time, but watching it back, it was better than I anticipated what it was going to be. Um, you know, Zeke's claim to fame is, well, I mean, he was an Intercontinental Champion at one point, but he's the last ECW champion. He's actually going to end up winning this title uh, about a month later, and then the, the title's just kind of gone. Uh, and that's pretty much the end of it. And he would go on to get hurt, have an injury, and be off TV for about six to eight months after that. But yeah, I mean, look, Christian's a good worker. He works real hard in this match, like you said. Uh, it was enjoyable, uh, more so than I expected. But, yeah, I mean, for in-ring, he's a big guy. He's got a couple of power moves. I wouldn't necessarily say he's a big guy that can move. Everybody's no. <laughs> ring. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, but, you know, I mean, he could do enough in the ring where he can have a decent match. And I, that, that's where I would put this one. Okay. This match is fine. It's a decent opener. Christian carries Ezekiel Jackson to something passable here. This match is a microcosm of why WWE's version of ECW did not work. For starters, Christian has held the title for six months. This is nothing against Christian. Christian is a very good worker with a lot of charisma, and he fits as one of the top guys on sort of a B brand. And that's what he would wind up being on SmackDown after this, because after this was when Christian went into the one more match gimmick, which got Mm -hmm. him pretty over as a heel. And that was his last real main event run in the company. However, you're looking at a guy in extreme championship wrestling who doesn't use weapons, 
doesn't right. do anything that ECW would ever be associated with. And he's held the title for six months. Then you have Ezekiel Jackson, who sort of checks all of Vince McMahon's boxes as far as things he looks for. Namely, big dude, whole bunch of muscles, has two or three moves that he can go to. You mentioned that we wouldn't call him a big guy who could move. I would like to see if he could walk and chew gum at the same time. He's not particularly well coordinated. He's just not. And Christian does the very best he can to bump like crazy for him and get a passable match out of him. The match tells an okay story. Christian goes for the kill switch, fails a couple of times until he finally gets it. Christian does everything he can in this match. Stryker has a good line right at the outset. He calls William Regal the Mad Hatter from Blackpool. And I thought that was a pretty good line, except for the fact that Regal wasn't wearing a hat, but semantics at this point, right? Regal gets sent to the back. Stryker goes nuts. And honestly, he's got a point because Regal is just standing there. He's looking at Christian on the outside. He takes one step towards him. And the referee swarms out the ring. He goes flying. Yeah, he does. <laughs> and Regal gets sent to the back. It just didn't make any sense. If they had called this third brand something else, anything else, legitimately call it whatever you want. Call it Florida Championship Wrestling. Call it Deep South Wrestling. Call it Ohio Valley Wrestling. Call it something other than Extreme Championship Wrestling, and perhaps it works. As decent as this match was, as good as it was to get the evening started by giving the fans something to pop at, there was a lot about this match that was just weird. It, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel a little more towards Terry. I think you, you in a vacuum, the match impre- impressed me more than I thought it would. But you you detail a lot of the reasons why the ECW stuff doesn't work, which I think is, is completely fair and agreeable. It just, it, it didn't. Hit the mark they tried WWE does this with some things too Where they try to take it and it, It's fine at the very beginning And then they you could tell Vince gets bored With things really really early on It's like They do a mix max challenge thing They do a, a new show main event Where they treat it like it's a big deal and then A month later they're done with it you know it's There's there certain things that you can just tell and, and ECW is another one of them for Vince That he just kind of got bored with after a little while So we move on Um and now crime time is backstage. This is a little bit sad. Just uh, R.I.P. Shad. Yeah, with what just recently happened with Shad Gaspard, uh, seen him backstage. So crime time's back there with uh, Teddy Long, and they're asking for another spot in the Rumble. And Great Kali comes in. So crime time's trying to get Kali's spot. They do. Kali does an Urkel impersonation uh, at one point. Teddy's making fun of crime time. I mean, this is just a goofy backstage segment. Although, I, yeah. This this didn't do much, but I will say I did like for the ma- the majority of the night the fact that we got a lot of backstage stuff. We didn't get the promos like we used to get, you know, in like a Rumble '92, but we got a lot of the interactions. You know, Big Show backstage with Jericho, Shawn Michaels running into Kane, and then Triple H. You know, Triple H. We saw Miz back. Th- I just I like that part of them. This this was one of the ones that was just kind of flat because. Miz walks in at the end, but it doesn't feel like we have any real contenders in here in the mix. This is just kind of goofy um, for the yeah. most part. And and on top of that, you know, like the uh, the the whole line, you know, they get their their whatever rap vernacular or whatever it was from Family Matters. 
you know, like, you know, you, you can't say that today either. I know, know that would feel the wrong way. Yeah. That would, that would not go over well, you know, telling two African American men that you're able to, you know, speak to them because you watch family matters. You know, it's, you know, it's just not the kind of stuff you can get away with anymore. And by the way, we've said that many times during this watchback, but th- now we're at a point where this is only 10 years ago. You know, this is, this yeah. is 2010. This isn't exactly like when the Flintstones roamed the planet. No, we're not talking uh, about Jesse Ventura back then either. 30 uh, years ago. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. You know, that got me scratching my head, but yeah, I agree. Uh, Andrew, Behind the, the backstage stuff with the women, this spot, a lot of it's just goofy and it doesn't really carry much meaning. The only one that really did was the Randy Orton thing leading to kind of like the breakup with him and Legacy. But otherwise, it was just a lot of goofy stuff. I got to say, though, before we move on from this segment, Miz actually nails something here. One of his lines is, five years from now, nobody's going to remember what I you're put, talking about. I put that down. And so I, they, I, they do the Family Matters joke television show from the 1990s they do a pants on the ground bit remember that if you if you can find a more 2010 reference i don't know what it is he's dead on the money yeah and uh that goes to show uh in a roundabout way one of the things that i'll talk about when we get to the rumble about mrs longevity but some of the backstage segments you're right left me a little bit empty but there was one later on in the show with Shawn Michaels and Kane and Triple H that yeah. I absolutely yeah. loved. Mm-hmm. Really good one. And th- there, there, there was a purpose at the end because Miz comes in and then Teddy tells Miz that he's going to have to defend his U.S. title tonight against MVP as well as be in the Royal Rumble. So um, there was at least a little bit of a purpose there at the end with Miz. And, um, and Cody is now talking to Randy. This is what Darren was just uh, referencing. He tells Randy that Cody will be here there f- for him tonight, but he starts to throw Ted DiBiase under the, uh, the bus and say, hey, Ted's thinking about winning the Rumble, and, and he thinks he's going to go and face Sheamus and, and win the title there. He doesn't even think you're going to win. So then we, we see Ted pr- pull something a little different later on. So this is for- furthering their storyline, which the, the, the stuff with Orton and – Legacy tonight was more about that storyline Than it was about Orton winning the title From Sheamus in the, the match that we'll see In just a little bit So we now get And yeah remember Legacy was three of the final four In the Royal Rumble just last year So they were a big deal for a while And um, and, and they had a big pull up, They had a big part to play in the, the Rumble the previous year So Justin Roberts introduces The Miz It's Miz versus MVP here I thought this was An Above average match The crowd's really into MVP at this point um, You know good back and forth they're, they're going pretty quick at it He hits the ball and elbow at one point And um, he he I, I did think the finish I liked the, the, the creativity of it The execution was a little sloppy I liked it because MVP is coming back in through the ropes And the Miz catches him While he's in between the ropes And rolls him up Although the roll-up is a little sloppy It's not clean I, I like that I think it's kind of creative When someone's coming in the ropes To catch them off guard And and he doesn't He doesn't flub it It doesn't get caught on the ropes It just When he turns him around It's more like he's just sort of Laying on top of him But I thought these two guys Worked really good I mean I always like Miz stuff And I think Andrew You, you know you're going to mention A point on the longevity of Miz You start to look back at it And it's like Yeah it's already been a decade Where this guy has been A You know 
top of the mid card at least to a guy who won a main event of WrestleMania. You know, he's he's been he's reinvented himself a couple different times. He he it wasn't good when he turned babyface. He's not a babyface, but you can use this guy. He's just about as useful as anyone in the company for them with what he can do on the microphone, how they can send him out to to do stuff for PR They can use him in a spot in a tag with Morrison They can slot him in as a main eventer If they need to get uh, Just to get something over for a month at a pay-per-view and to, Or he's a great IC US title Guy So you know as much as I love him personally He's one of my favorites He's become a really solid steady contributor For the company for a long time Okay I'm just going to point this out here You might have a little bit Of a bias here we're just yeah. going to throw this yeah. out there. Tad. For those just of you tad. who do not know, somehow, oh some way, Gino Bacola interviewed The Miz on TVG. That YouTube clip is still out there if you want to see it somewhere. It's, uh, it's good stuff. So Miz and MVP go out there. And the reason these two guys are still with the company today, in MVP's case, he went elsewhere for a little bit and came back. But these guys are high floor guys. They might not necessarily be out there working five-star classics, but they will rarely stink up the house. And that's what you get here. You get a match that is pretty good. I thought they might add another gear in them, but both guys were over. The crowd was into this match. There's a nice spot where Miz gets out of a playmaker, but MVP hits a big boot. I thought that one was pretty cool. Miz wins by a roll-up, and they were trying to sort of imply that he got away with something i didn't see it no it's, it was clean because yes it clean as a sheet mm-hmm. and it's one of those things where after the match he tries to taunt mvp and lawler actually says he should he won the match clean yeah. that was a little bit confusing mm-hmm. but on the whole decent match jerry lawler has a cringeworthy moment where he says he still remembers when MVP came to Raw from the Witness Protection Program, another one in the You Can't Say That Today files. Mm -hmm. They butcher Sherry Shepard's name repeatedly. Uh, For those of you who are into the minutia of this sort of thing, MVP and Sherry Shepard were an item for a time in 2009. Sherry Shepard actually made a couple of appearances on WWE television. So... They, I guess we're poking a little bit of fun at MVP for that. I don't know whether the initial mispronunciation or flub of her name was intentional, but they sort of took it and ran with it. Live TV being what it is and all. All told, decent match, wasn't overly blown away, but they do a nice job with a callback in the Royal Rumble match to stuff that happens here. So all told, I can live with what we've got. Yeah, I enjoyed this match uh, for a lot of the reasons that, that Andrew talked about. The two of them have high floors. I, I thought they worked well together. I thought they, they told the story well. You got the impression that these are two guys that simply despise each other. I, I thought they put that storyline over very well. Um, you know, nothing crazy going on in the match, but it was a good, clean match that I, that I enjoyed. Um, this is the last year of MVP's initial run in WWE. At the end of the year, he'll be released, and he'll go to New Japan and TNA, do some independent stuff, do some stuff with Major League Wrestling. Um, so this is pretty much the start of his last season, and he kind of tapers off a little bit from here and goes into some other stories. The Miz goes, obviously, as we know, in the other direction. And um, like you said, you know, The Miz doesn't get much main event time 
over the next decade in terms of being the guy. Obviously, he has his one big title run. Uh, he had that cool cash-in of the Money in the Bank briefcase. That was one of the better cash-ins uh, that we've seen uh, that got a huge fan pop. But he has had some very good matches that a lot of people don't talk about. Mm -hmm. um, the stuff that he did with Roman when Miz kind of had to take a bit of a break where Roman got the IC belt from him and they, they fought like yep. three or four times in two months. Those matches were really, really good. I got I, I got to see two of them in person. Really good matches. Um, Ziggler. The, yeah, the, yeah, absolutely. The, the Ziggler, Ziggler, Ziggler retirement stuff. That was great. Yeah. That was a that really was good excellent. match. That yeah. was like the last yeah. time people took Ziggler seriously. The stuff yeah. with Miz with Morrison. When Miz just won the title, he had a good uh, Falls Count Anywhere match on Raw with Morrison. They they had really good yeah. chemistry. And then a lot of tag stuff. You know, you forget yeah. about he had that fun run with Sandow, which was a blast yeah. and a lot of fun. And and then you put him with, uh, you know, Big Show like we've seen. You put him in different tag situations. I mean, he, he was put up in the place when The Rock made his return to be one of the guys to, to yeah. put in the ring against The Rock with R-Truth. And, and I'll give you I'll give you a hidden gem that nobody talks about because it is on one of the worst pay-per-views in WWE history. <laughs> one, fortunately, I actually went to because it was in the area, and my, my wife Amanda said, "Hey, why don't we go? It's a it's a pay-per-view. It's got you know Reigns is on the card, Joe Strowman, Orton. Let's go. It'll be fun. All right, great. Uh, Backlash 2018, which oh, is dear. a oh dear, terrible, terrible pay-per-view. However. The first match on the card is Rollins and The Miz. It is fantastic. Nobody ever talks about it because it starts this absolutely putrid show, and the next eight matches or seven matches are all awful. But the Rollins-Miz match to start that pay-per-view is damn, damn good. And I would urge people to go watch that match and then stop and turn it off and don't watch anything else the rest of the show. <laughs> that one match of Rollins and The Miz from that pay-per-view is really, really good. So we'll see uh, The Miz and MVP a little later on um, in the in the Rumble. But as Andrew mentioned, so right after the match, um, MVP attacks The Miz and King says it's poor sportsmanship. And Stryker says, King, when did you join my side? Which I thought was a, was a funny line. So, um, yeah, they were like Cole was trying to push, as Andrew said, like there was something that The Miz did to cheat. But if he did, they mi he missed it. It didn't happen because it was didn't seem like anything, but it was clean. We now go backstage. It's Big Show and Jericho. And Jericho's uh, talking to Big Show about. Um, how they used to be tag team partners And about how Big Show says The Miz was a better tag team partner But Big Show says his loyalty is to himself And then R-Truth interrupts him Interrupts them He says he's going to throw Jericho out And uh, Big Show leaves B Jericho thinks Big Show's there to have his back He kind of turns around and, and he's not there It's it's just, you know, Rumble You know, Big Show's on his own And, and Jericho And they're just This was nothing It wasn't Bad. It's not anything really. You know, it, it wasn't important in in any real sense. Um, just to show you that Big Show wasn't uh, really having anyone's side here. So 
And then we get to uh, Ted DiBiase And this was basically the exact same thing that happened with Cody Rhodes Earlier with Randy Orton But Ted DiBiase is saying the same thing on the other side He's saying, hey, Cody thinks he's going to win the Rumble And uh, you know he's going to go on and, and win the title And he's not talking about the, the group and, and, and helping you and, and so Randy gets upset And he says he doesn't want anybody to come help him at ringside He doesn't want anyone to come out there with him So we now get to Seamus versus Orton And if you forget If you're someone who just started watching wrestling recently When Sheamus came in He was really pushed pretty hard Pretty quickly he got up right into the main event And was was involved with Cena And with Orton for a while And this is I, I think what's a little bit weird About this match is just Randy is in the middle Of a face turn He's he's starting to turn face, but he hasn't really. You know, he's about to towards the end of the match when he turns on Legacy, and he he's and even Randy as a face isn't really good guy baby face that the crowd is going to always be loving because he's more of a stoic baby face. The crowd will pop for the RKO and and things like that. So I think in some places the crowd didn't really know at times who to get behind, and then you can see they do get behind Orton. So Sheamus is working on Orton's arm, uh, left arm early And Orton's working on Sheamus's knee um, King calls Orton a jerk um, And You know Sheamus slows it down It's okay It's your it's what you, what you sort of expect from a Randy Orton match It's just It's building to a level That with the finish it's not going to get to If you tack another 5 minutes onto this match it would start to get to the point where you get the good back and forth, you get Randy Randy build up and some of his big moves, and that was that was happening. It looked like he was going to get the win, and, and then we have Cody coming out and attacking uh, attacking Sheamus and the referee. The referee sees him and he, and he gets a DQ here. So more about the storyline than the match itself. I think sort of what we've said with the other couple matches on the show wasn't bad, but it wasn't. There was a level that it probably didn't get to Because it's the Royal Rumble And they don't generally have a lot of 5 star matches On the Rumble, it's usually more about the Rumble Itself, so um, Let's start over there with Darren, uh, Seamus Orton What'd you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm conflicted by this Because I love Randy Orton's work here And granted, I'm, a, I'm biased Because I, I am a huge Randy Orton guy uh, I pretty much hated Everything else going on around it Um <laughs> And what I mean by that, and nothing really wrong with Sheamus. He was he was fine. I'm really speaking more towards the story and what they're trying to do. You you know from backstage what they're planning that, that what's going to happen. Obviously, mm-hmm. yeah, obviously somebody's going to come down and interfere, and they're building tension. So Orton's probably going to get pissed, which means he's probably getting screwed. You know, you can kind of see them laying the groundwork. They they really telegraph that now. Here's where I really start to get aggravated. So Cody comes down for no damn good reason and just clobbers Sheamus in the back of the head completely in front of the referee. I mean, no like, good reason. And Orton's about no, to win this match. Yeah, he's, he's, no reason for it. Now, that's problem number one. Problem number two is normally 99 times out of 100 when that happens, the referee just calls for the bell. Instead... He's standing there looking at Cody like, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, and then Orton hits an RKO, and then the ref, like two minutes later, calls for the bell. Then you get the Orton stuff where he goes nuts, which is which I like because that's like you hear what Randy Orton is saying, 
you know, it, it's, you know, you're finished. I'm done with you. No, yeah. Like all that stuff that, that makes Randy Orton's character so good. Now, okay, Sheamus ends up hitting a bro kick on him for, you know, whatever reason, because that had to happen, I don't know why, for the story. Uh, and then everybody just kind of leaves. So, I mean, from my standpoint, one of two things have to happen for what the blow up's going to be at WrestleMania. Either Orton just continues to beat the crap out of the two guys and needs to be restrained or helped by, you know, help, taken away by somebody. Or the other two guys join Sheamus in beating up Orton. Like, it just kind of, like, left, like, out there. Like, all right, Sheamus at the bro kick, he leaves Orton flat, and then, you know, uh, Cody and DiBiase just kind of walk away. Like, it just felt completely, I don't know, left hanging out there. And that's what I mean by I like the stuff that Orton did and pretty much did not get anything else that was going on. I hated this match. Yeah. I like Sheamus. I like Randy. It's slow, right? It's a little slow. Here's the thing. Sheamus had just gotten the call up to the big show. And for as much as we complain about how WWE doesn't like strapping the rocket to guys, Sheamus got the rocket push. Now, there are, there's some debate as to why. One of the reasons people cite for this is he just happened to be Triple H's workout buddy. Now, Sheamus would eventually turn into a star. He'd be a top-level guy for a decade. He's had a heck of a career, and he's going to be a Hall of Famer at some point with the body of work that he has. He's not there yet at all whatsoever. He's learning how to work what we call WWE style. Randy Orton, when he wants to be, can be one of the best workers on the planet. His psychology level can be second to none. And a couple of times every year, you see it, and he does something that leaves your jaw dropped. The problem? He put a big old postage stamp on this one. Right off the rip. It's slow. There's not a lot of big bumps in this match. Sheamus works the arm, Orton works the leg, and that kind of structure works if it's one guy working one body part to slow the other guy down. Usually it's the heel working that body part on the face, the face gets a spurt of offense, and then the heel goes right back to working the body part. That works, and that's been a formula of a lot of really good matches for a very long time. They constructed this match as sort of a heel versus heel thing, even though Orton was getting a babyface reaction at this point, probably because people were sort of realizing, okay, this legacy thing has run its course. It's going to blow off at WrestleMania. They're going to turn them. And that goes back to what you guys were talking about with regard to, okay, we can see this coming. We know where this is going. The problem is the match that they had to try to get it there. Could have been better. Yeah, no, it could have been better. It just, there's one spot in particular. Orton hits the rope drape DDT that he does. Crowd goes insane for that. It wouldn't have been a huge shock if that was the finish. He covers Sheamus, covers the arm and the leg that just happened to be really, really close to the ropes. Michael Cole, he's keeping the arm and the leg from the ropes. One, two. Sheamus grabs the ropes with the arm that's supposed to be restrained. What's the storytelling there? I don't get it. This match left me feeling so flat. 
I had forgotten how bad this match actually was. I was looking forward to the next full match on the program, which we'll get to and which I will just gush about because it's one of my favorites. Sitting through this match, though, that was not an easy thing to do. These guys have a lot better matches a couple years later down the line. Yeah, yeah they really do. Um, it's just the the combination of new Sheamus with the the bad the 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 weird not great storyline, and it, as Darren said, it leaves you feeling a little flat afterwards. So this was to me probably the low point of the show because um, nothing else I really bothered me, and I, I wasn't even really offended by this. It just I expect more from these two guys. I know I know they can do better. So we then get this next match, Mickey James versus Michelle McCool. So when you have a match and a feud that is like this, that I I compare this sort of to what we talked about last week with the Triple H Booker team. Thank you. Thank right? you. So you have a, a feud where the heel is being obnoxious, saying things that are offensive and and BS for the most part, but but to the point where you know that they have to get their comeuppance. This is how you book a match like that. Now I don't think Triple H was going to get squashed at WrestleMania in 20 seconds, but this it, it, something similar to that where it's an elongated five or six minute match where Booker just really looks great and has the upper hand on him. And then, you know, Triple H has to have Flair help him cheat to get the title back the next month. Whatever. That this is how you're supposed to book this. And the 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 whole storyline and everything we see leading up to the match is it's really cringeworthy. It's really yeah. bad. It it's really uncomfortable. The thing that makes me not even un- but watching it is it's just like Mickey James is supposed to be fat and ugly? <laughs> really? Like you're you're trying to sell me on that? Like I, what? Like come on here! Like what do you think? People, girl, like women around the world watching this are thinking like that girl is being picked on as a fat, ugly girl. What? What? You know, Mickey James is gorgeous. She's in great shape. It's just Michelle McCool is a twig. This whole storyline, calling her fat, calling her Piggy James. You know, they give her a Jenny Craig gift certificate in the lead up to this. They're dressing up like pigs. Layla is, and it's. It's, when they do things like this, that's just so off. Um, it, it's it's weird, but I again, the way they end this, the way this match goes, that's what's supposed to happen. The babyface gets the upper hand in a decisive way. So things start with Mrs. Undertaker, Michelle McCool, cutting a promo out there. Super annoying heel saying, Piggy James, nowhere to be seen. If she's anywhere close to the arena, you'd see her. Asks if she's at the hot dog stand again. It's just, it's not like good Bobby or or even like Alexa Bliss is good with, would be good with something this. This just didn't come off great. And I like some of Michelle McCool's stuff. She actually was a pretty good worker. And when she's come back in some of her spots that she's done in the Women's Rumble, she's done a pretty good job too. Um, but, I mean, this is... This thing goes from when Mickey comes out. I mean, before Mickey comes out, Layla comes down in that big fat suit, and Mickey James music hits, and she sprints to the ring. She just lays out Layla. The bell rings, and Layla gets back up. She jumps on the apron to distract Mickey, and Michelle comes running. Mickey jumps out of the way. Michelle and Layla knock into each other. Michelle kind of gives Layla a big boot. Mickey gains the advantage. 
Kick to the midsection DDT for the win 20 seconds And the Divas come down with a big cake They smash it into Michelle and Layla's face They're really overselling the cake all over And they're crying And they're rubbing it all over their face And so Darren If they're going to give me a cringeworthy storyline This is how you end it Yeah it is And and I would say that This is a storyline that you can't do anymore But they actually just did something very similar between Alexa Bliss and Nia Jax. Yeah, not long ago. You're right. Yeah, uh, a little bit different. And 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 I'm going to kind of draw a line there because from one to the other. So I think this will be a good point. To show the difference in where the women's division was in 2010 to where it is today. You look at this storyline. You look at how goofy it is. You look at them dressing up in pig outfits and doing all kinds of dumb stuff and then you look at the storyline and the match between bliss and jacks and, and not by the way nia jacks not being a good worker at all but look at how one is constructed and the story is told and the match happens and then look at the other and in those eight nine years the differences that we see in between how the women's division was viewed in 2010 Versus how it's viewed in 2020 and even, you know, 2016 through 2020. Uh, it, it couldn't be in, in, in more contrast with one another. And I mean that in a good way in terms of how far the women have come from a point like this to where they are now. So I, while I, want, I would say this storyline wouldn't happen today with the women being how goofy it was. They did recreate it, but it was told in a much different way. Uh, the match that had the blow-off was much di- much different, and the way that they went through the story was much different, and they were treated like the men would have been treated 10 years ago. And that's one thing. A lot of the things that I'm critical of with WWE today for sure, but one of the things that they are doing better is they realize, I believe, what they have in the women's division. Yep. and And I think we see that. In, in the storylines today versus this, because Andrew, you would never see anything goofy like this with the women today. No, no, you wouldn't. Gino, I'm happy you brought up one particular point. If Mickey James is considered fat, right. someone in WWE's creative team is blind. I Just hate. saying. Yeah. I mean, a couple of years before this, they did an angle with significant uh, lesbian stalker tones mm-hmm. to it yep. with Mickey James and Trish Stratus. There is one spot in particular that stands out in that match. If you would like to go back and watch a WrestleMania match <laughs> to see what I'm talking about, I'm going to invite you to do that <laughs> because I'm not going to go into that out of respect for anyone out there who is listening with a child in the room. So Michelle McCool comes out and the first thing that hits me is, she cannot act, not no. in the slightest. No. She's trying to get this over, and she's trying to play the mean girl. Layla, however, comes out in a fat suit, and I think this might have been a Lawler line or a striker line, one of the two. One of them says, that's Layla overflowing with excitement. Could never <laughs> do that today. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, Mickey James runs out, big face pop, Cleans house, DDT wins the title. 20 seconds. That was booked perfectly. 
Uh, This entire segment, I got to tell you, I loved this. I thought this was terrific. I thought it's made the most out of a horrible start to the storyline. And I'm a sucker for angles involving people with cake on their face. Food in the ring. What did Stryker say? Food in the ring is never a good thing. (laughs) And you know what? He's right. That's an old Jim Cornette trope from his days in Mid-South and his days in Smoky Mountain. There's that is someone out of a box. Yep. Give me. <laughs> Anytime yep. there is a cake in the ring, someone is going to be wearing it. So Lay Cool gets their own cake thrown on them. The female wrestlers are in the ring. They're loving this. The crowd's going crazy. And Matt Stryker siding with the heels on this has a great little throwaway line saying, girls can be so mean. <laughs> you know what? As bad as this storyline was, as horrible in taste as some of the segments involved in it were, the last segment, it makes everything go down it smoother. It does. You just feel better about it. Yes, mm-hmm. the heels get their comeuppance. Mickey James gets her revenge and the title. This worked. And I had forgotten how much it worked in the time since I had last watched this show to when I rewatched it last night. Yeah. And by the way, you know, um, we, we talked, uh, I don't know if it was last week or a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that segment briefly that uh, Vince McMahon did with Bob Costas. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And talking about like how he emasculated women. Treated women and stuff like that. And his point was it's a it's a it's a soap opera. And if you continue to watch, you know in the end the bad guy is going to get served his ass on a platter. And a lot of times it is the McMahon, whether it's Vince or Stephanie, you know, we would see her get her a lot of the time or a Triple H sometimes or a, a Shane. So they, that's the one thing that you can always say about Vince is that he might ask you to do some things that are off the wall, racist, sexist, whatever, but he would never ask you to do something that he himself would not go out there and do. And has right. not gone out there and do done, right. you know. Right, absolutely, absolutely, and and that's and that's entirely the truth, and that's kind of the point that he made with Costas. Now, mm-hmm. you know, th- listen, Costas took a lot of things, you know, probably out of context and just showed short clips, and they look really, really bad. And there were things that they did back then where you look at it and you go, "My God, like how in the world did they get away with that?" Mm-hmm. Uh, but to Vince's point. It's a show like any other. It's entertainment. It's a, it's a weird it's, world yeah. that they were in because they're yeah. in such an in-between between sports and a scripted show, right? We watch right. scripted shows where, I mean, I turned on the first episode of this Perry Mason, and right off the bat in episode one, he's got a case about an infant that gets murdered. You know what I mean? Like, there's shows that have heavy Heavy. I mean, we we see shows about murder, rape, incest, sexual stuff all over the place. Game of Thrones has got all sorts. So it's weird. It's a weird world they live in when you're trying to create a story with real bad guys that you want to see get their comeuppance. You want to see people actually be disliked and hated, but you can't go too far because it it still is a sports kind of world. So I, I know sometimes it's probably not the easiest line to toe. No, it's not. And, and you know, you, you could, listen, I can see both sides. You know, it's being, it's being presented kind of as a sport. So some people don't put that in the same category as a show. But the people that are behind the company, to them, it is a show. So 
like they'll they'll put on an episode of like Law and Order SVU and be like, look at the stuff that they're doing there. You know, that's a show. It's been on the air for twenty something years. You know, we're doing something similar, but then there are people saying, Yeah, but you're doing it in front of a live crowd, you're presenting yourself off as sports entertainment. It needs to be held to a different standard. So it's a very fine line that needs to be walked. And I'm not saying that Vince walks on the right side of it all the time. No. But you can see where you can get into a gray area very quickly and where you can have a debate on this issue. Mm-hmm. And if I may jump in really yes. quickly here, one of the bigger issues that we need to take into account is WWE is a publicly traded company. They've mm-hmm. got right. a responsibility to their shareholders. And if a major shareholder doesn't like a storyline, that opens up another can of worms, possibly with financial ramifications. Again, sometimes what gets put on the air and what doesn't get put on the air is is maddening. And we can second guess that until the cows come home. But there is a lot of things to potentially decipher and weigh in, especially when you consider WWE's shift to a PG product about 10, 12 years ago. It's it, it's a fascinating uh, case structure here where the further you look and the more you dive into it, it's like layers getting peeled off of an onion as far as all the things you potentially have to worry about because you've got shareholders, you've got television companies who don't necessarily want the edgiest stuff on their televisions, but there comes a time where sometimes the edgy stuff is what gets ratings. And that is why WWF Monday Night Raw didn't get kicked off the air during the Attitude Era when they had women walking around in attitudes that wouldn't have been out of place at a strip club. So there's a lot going on there. And somebody could write a really good scholarly paper on that very topic if they had enough time and inclination to do so. So we get to um, one of Andrew's favorite matches and one of the reasons why he picked this show. It is Rey Mysterio versus, versus The Undertaker. And Rey Mysterio was in a really fun storyline leading up to this with Batista, where he had to win a match with Batista to become the number one contender. I really like the buildup package and a couple of the lines in here. Um, Rey, uh, Undertaker says, Rey Mysterio, your courage unquestionable, but make no mistake about it. I will show you no mercy. And then uh, Ray said, he said, yeah, see, I've had dreams and I've had nightmares and I've conquered my nightmares because of my dreams. Thought that was a great line. And, and then Ray Mysterio gets introduced first for this match. He's got that great scared look on his face when Taker's music hits. And, and that's been one of the storylines. He's been saying that he's not scared of him. He's going to go in there and he's going to give him everything that he's got. And this was this was really, really fun. I completely forgot about this match, honestly. And, you know, Ray is exactly what you would expect. And these two guys are just two of the best that have ever done this. One of the best big men ever. One of the best little men ever. And when you put the two of them together, it's... This is... If this happened a year or two later, you wouldn't have gotten this good of a version of The Undertaker. And I'm so I'm glad it happened when it did. Because you still get a pretty damn good version of both of these guys here in 2010. And Ray's using kicks and quickness early. He's got the slight advantage as Taker tries to corner him. And then Taker just tosses him over the top rope. Just, oh, that was great. He goes flying. Ray goes for a springboard. And then Taker punches him back out to the floor. You get a big leg drop. 
with Ray in between the ropes. That was a cool spot. Taker goes for a choke slam. Ray counters it into a Hurricane Rana. Taker counters the 619, catches Ray for a tombstone, and then Ray fights out of that. Really fun sequence. Taker works on Ray outside the ring, and, and then Ray dodging a big boot. Taker goes into the ring post, and then Ray gets a little bit of the advantage. He hits a moonsault to Taker outside the ring, and then Taker's face gets busted open. He's bleeding from the nose and the mouth. Taker with this. Choke slam push sort of like what he did To Foley in the King of the Ring 98 When he pushed him and he just Flings Ray into the barricade Outside the ring and Stryker Mentions you see Ray's back and neck Just nasty fall into The, the back of the ring Taker starts to Slow it down he starts laying in With strikes then a sidewalk slam And Stryker's doing a really good job of trying To it, it may be a little too much at, at sometimes, but he's trying to push the, the fact that Mysterio can win this match and he can beat bigger and he's done that before and he's not scared of Taker and Ray gains the advantage again with a springboard leg drop, but then Taker um, with a counter and, and the, the end spot I really, really love. So Ray escapes the last ride from The Undertaker. He ends up hitting a 619 and then when he goes off the ropes, he drop kicks the Undertaker in the back, which pushes the Undertaker to the other side of the ring. He goes for a 619 again, and when he flies off the ropes, Undertaker catches him and and lifts him up for this devastating last ride. And I like that the Undertaker's face through a lot of the match had this kind of not not mad but frustrated, like annoyed. Just like, yeah, you could tell they were, they, these two guys respect each other a lot. They worked really hard. Taker gave Ray a lot in this match. And Andrew, we'll start with you since I know you're so high on it. I can, I can see why. This is a lot of fun. This is absolutely what I would consider a hidden gem because it's not one that you, you hear talked about a whole lot. I just want to throw this out there right off the rip here. You're both welcome. I mean, I'm just <laughs> saying this is one of my yeah. all-time favorite matches. I love this. For a lot of different reasons. First of all, this is an 11-minute match. Taker goes hard. You don't get big move, rest, big move, rest, big move, rest. You don't get that. And you mentioned that we wouldn't have gotten this match out of the two of them a year or two later because Taker was aging a little bit. Let's not forget Rey Mysterio's no kid either. And a couple of years later, he would have enough injury troubles to where WWE was freezing his contract and they were trying to work on a release so that he could go elsewhere, but that didn't happen. So he wound up sort of getting tied into purgatory for a little while. I love this. I love every bit of this match. Mysterio comes out. Lawler comments on Mysterio beating Batista in a steel cage to get the title shot. Says that was improbable, but beating The Undertaker may be impossible. Great little man, big man setup there. And it's so simple. And Lawler's not trying too hard to sell it either. It's just, it's just the right tone. 30 seconds into the match, Taker just chucks Mysterio over the top rope and onto the floor. Huge bump. And this is where Mysterio is at his best, working with a big guy. This is the same guy who in 1996 got thrown like a lawn dart into the side of a trailer by Kevin Nash on Monday Nitro. This was that Mysterio, and it was probably the last time we saw that version of Rey Mysterio. Rey dodges a leg drop, but Taker stops, drags him back into position, and nails one. Taker bleeds, and he really gives the, you know, the sign of, okay, now you've really pissed me off. 
just judging by his facial expressions and the why mm-hmm. won't you die demeanor yeah. that he yeah. has. I love that. Just so good, subtle storytelling, even down to Mysterio's eyes as takers walk into the ring. Mysterio is trying to convey a message of, I need to act like he's not scaring me, but I'm scared out of my mind. That was really cool. And there are so many good little sequences in this match. Ray counters a choke slam, goes for a 619. Taker counters that with an attempted tombstone that Ray hits knees constantly to get out of. That's a really cool, innovative spot. Uh, Mysterio goes flying. Taker counters with a big boot. Taker tries a powerbomb onto the floor. Mysterio gets out, jumps on the apron, jumps on the second rope, and it's a moonsault. Uh, Matt Stryker has a good line saying the Undertaker has malice in every movement. And, Gino, you mentioned the finish. Really good finish. Nobody loses anything there because Mysterio is able to get so much offense in on the Undertaker to where even if you didn't think he had a chance, he hits the first 619, he hits the second 619, and you're thinking, are they really going to do this? Is this really happening? Oh, nope. Last ride. Good night. 11 minutes. No rest holds. Mysterio might have better matches. In fact, he does if you go back to WCW. His match at Halloween Havoc with Eddie Guerrero is an all-timer. He probably has better technical matches. This one is probably my favorite. I love this match. And as I've mentioned in past conversations with both of you, every time I go back and rewatch a number of rumbles from the past, I always stop at the match before the 2010 rumble because this is so good. It's 11 minutes. They could have gone longer without losing anything, but I'm almost happy that they didn't. This was the Sting Vader formula pretty much to the letter. And that's a really easy formula to duplicate that I'm shocked nobody tries to do as much as they should. This was so good. If you haven't seen this match, it's 11 minutes. You don't have to invest a whole heck of a lot of time. Go watch it. It's damn good. It is. And in fact, it's kind of wild, but this same year, Taker and Mysterio have a match on SmackDown. And once again... Uh, Taker bleeds like like crazy, and in that match, he actually broke his nose, broke his orbital bone, and had a concussion. And in fact, in an interview, he said after it happened, he looked down and he could you know see his nose out of one of his eyes because his nose. <laughs> He's on buck, yeah. <laughs> and, to, and he had to go back and reset the nose and and get through the match, but. Uh, he, you know, in both these matches, you know, Taker gets busted. I think here it happens when uh, he's going. It looks like he's going for the tombstone, and Ray is is trying to knee his way out of it. And I think mm-hmm. he kept with one of those knees right so too. Now. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that's where that happened. But yeah, look, I mean, you guys, you highlighted all all the stuff here, uh, and, and I'll just make this a common theme. It's it really has become a common theme that. These big guys often get their best matches from the, whether it be little to average size guys that can mm-hmm. move around. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we talked about Lesnar, you know, his matches uh, with, you know, a guy like Styles and Daniel Bryan uh, and, and on and on. You know, this match between Taker and Mysterio. Taker, the two WrestleMania epics with Shawn Michaels. Not that Shawn Michaels is small, but 
again, it's not giant versus giant. And, you know, obviously Mysterio's skill set is on another planet from a lot of people, especially at this point of his career. Um, he gives Taker a match that I don't think a lot of other people could have given him. Uh, Andrew alluded to the fact that it's not big move rest, big move rest. It's kind of nonstop. There are plenty of big moves, but it, but it keeps going. There's no lulls. The crowd responds to it. And, yeah, it, it's just enjoyment from start to finish. Um, you know, would I have liked it to be a little bit longer? I don't know. I, I, I mean, maybe, but I, I thought they got everything accomplished that they needed to. Because the maybe you, 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 you don't go as quick, you know what I mean? Like, because they know, okay, we're going to go 11 minutes here. Taker in his head is like, I'm going to sprint with Ray, you know, and that's that's sort of the, the, the match plan. So I agree with both of you in that I would have liked, only because we like the match, we want to see more of it. But more of it didn't wouldn't have necessarily made the match any better. Well, no, I don't think it would have. Yeah, I think this match was perfect by design. Um, you know, I mean, if you want to call it a botch where Mysterio, you know, bloodies up Taker. All right, well, you know, that's you know, you can catch a knee. I mean, that happens. But occupational uh, hazard, I think, exactly. is the term there. Exactly. But yeah, I mean. Is you know is there a moment where you believe maybe Mysterio is going to win? Maybe it's because this you got to remember. There's a lot of stuff going on in the background here because they're doing a lot of playing up. Sean wants Undertaker mm-hmm. again. Right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, when Taker wins this, you're thinking, well, maybe Sean's going to win the Rumble. Yep, and that's going to be a title match. But watching this match, you're saying, well. If they don't want it to be a title match, you know, are they really going to have Sean lose twice? Maybe Taker's going to find a way to lose this match. Mm-hmm. So there were things going on with all those stories that made you question it, and there were a couple spots in the match that kind of you know, raised your eyebrow, like, oh, maybe. But that being said, I thought it was as good as it could possibly be. These two only face each other on TV in a singles match four times. They're all good stuff. Yeah, there's one spot really quickly that I didn't mention that I just skipped over in my notes, and I don't know how I missed it because I loved it when it happened. Taker does the sit-up, and this has the mystique of, okay, now Taker's going to start the comeback. This match is going to be over soon, whatever. Mysterio drop kicks him back down in a nanosecond. Yep, that's this great. This was fantastic. Just There's so much good stuff about this match. I can't possibly speak any higher about it. Mysterio's had better technical matches. Taker has had better technical matches, especially with Sean. He'd have his second match with Sean at Mania just a couple of months later. But this is just so much fun, and I can't speak highly enough about it. We get to a little backstage segment after this um, with Kane and Shawn Michaels. Kane's telling him that, you know, I've faced Undertaker twice at WrestleMania, and he, he mentions the battles they have, and Kane talks about his um, his strong resume in the Royal Rumbles, and he says there is no light, only darkness. And tri- Triple H comes in and says, "It, it doesn't even really—I don't even really remember what he says, but he kind of just says like, oh, that couldn't have been good.' You know, it was just kind—it of, just kind of was funny, like knowing, like, of course he was talking to Kane. It wasn't great. And um, they talk about winning the Rumble, and they both mention that, hey, you deserve to win the Rumble, but." I'm gonna toss you if possible. You know, I, I'm 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 worried about winning myself. So, good good storyline here with Shawn Michaels. And honestly, when you look at this Royal Rumble at the time of when it was in 2010, 
And who's going to come into the match You can honestly look through and say Maybe CM Punk He probably wasn't a winner But the way he they, they booked him here And you knew they they liked him and there were people in his corner The Great Khali was always booked as a monster Just Triple H absolutely had a shot McIntyre probably didn't have a shot But they were very high on him He was the chosen one Kane definitely was someone who would be considered a contender John Michaels for sure John Cena for sure Big Show for sure Maybe Henry on the, the next tier and then Jericho, Edge, Batista Remember this was not long after one of Kofi's biggest moments When his Survivor Series match with Orton When they beat Team Orton And Kofi felt like he was about to get a push So there were there were double digit guys That felt like they could win this Rumble Compare it to a Rumble that we looked at in like 98 When it was Austin And it was like, okay, maybe The Rock Or maybe one of the Foley characters But this one, you you it felt like Sean And when it's not Sean, then after him it could be one of another six, seven, eight guys. That that's when you got a good rumble. And we kick things off uh, with the announcers. They're setting up the rumble, and Michael Cole says it's our all-star game. But the players are actually playing for something, and they get the Royal Rumble preview. This is one of my favorite things they do. So at the good, rumble, so so right? so good. The numbers, the entrance, the eliminations. It's it's a time when in wrestling, just like what we were saying earlier, it's in a weird spot because it's a combination of sports and. And scripted television So how are we going to take seriously Things like wins and losses and records And this and that But at the Rumble, an event that they've created That they've got all the history for This is perfect You use eliminations, you use the how long people have stayed in You use how many times they've won They talk about the Hall of Famers How many entrants This is I get upset the years they don't do this (laughs) I love it It's, it's, It's one of my favorite little 30 second to a minute Things they can do and show five or six different things And just it feels It makes everything feel a little more important Hearing the history Of the whole event Um, Here we go Royal Rumble 2010 Number one is Dolph Ziggler Number two is Evan Bourne We'll go every like four or five and then we'll talk about Everything that happened for about you know four or five at a time So um, we get to number three CM Punk And this is when really the rumble starts You got CM Punk with long black hair He tosses both Ziggler And Evan Bourne and Matt Stryker asks for a sermon on the mount Asking you shall receive Matty Punk grabs the mic And he says he's going to toss 29 men um, Out that they can be saved It's clobbering time Number 4 is JTG Stryker says that CM Punk has contempt for the lifestyle Of guys like Crime Time And people in the WWE universe Who like to go out to the discotheque And party and listen to hip new music And drugs and alcohol <laughs> and uh, P- uh, Punk, they all get a laugh at him saying discotheque. Punk quickly eliminates JTG. He grabs the mic again. He cuts another little promo, says he's going to be the first ever straight edge Royal Rumble winner. Number five is Great Kali. Punk tells him that he can save him. I thought this was great. I can make you even greater. It's <laughs> just so stupid, but you know. And then Kali raises his hand up and he gives the, the chop. And he starts to go to work on Punk for a while So um, we'll go one through five Because the sixth spot was one that we we Will talk about and we'll see on In replays over and over and over again One through five so far The the big story here is CM Punk cutting the promos So we'll uh, we'll start over there with you Darren Yeah uh, So I mean the CM Punk stuff Is really cool um, I, always, I always got a kick out of trying to take The straight edge angle I'm a guy with a tongue ring and a lip ring mm-hmm. uh, You know <laughs> You know, it was like, wow, you know, the guy with the tongue ring, the lip ring, and all the tattoos is 
talking about walking the straight edge. All right, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, the, the, you know, it's a cool way to start the Rumble. Um, you know, it, it was kind of funny seeing Ziggler get eliminated so quickly because as he goes on in his career, he has some really long runs in the room, in the Royal Rumble. Um, mm-hmm. Him and Evan Bourne was a cool way to start. You know, two young, high-flying guys. I get it. Um, they give Punk his little run there. Um, you know, obviously, JTG was in there for, I think, less than 30 seconds. Um, you know, the great Kali thing was kind of – I mean, th- this is, like, the good time to get some of, like, the goofy Rumble stuff in, and, and they certainly did a good job of that with the whole Beth Phoenix thing as we'll get into her coming in. But, yeah, um, yeah, I thought it was cool. Um, the crowd was, you know, chanting CM Punk, although – when he got eliminated, they cheered too later on. So kind of interesting to see a crowd that, you know, wasn't like Philly CM Punk hot mm-hmm. behind him, but seemed to kind of go back and forth. So I thought that was interesting. I was a big fan of Evan Bourne when he was with the WWE. He was doing a lot of stuff that not a lot of people did. And for my money, he's the recipient of the best RKO that has ever been delivered. Apologies Second. to the... Apologies to the Orton Rollins one from WrestleMania. <laughs> this one, this one was better. Evan Bourne doing the shooting star press. Orton springing up off the mat. I loved it. It was brilliant. Bourne did a lot of really good work with WWE in an environment that wasn't really suited for the smaller guys. If you put him in a time machine, put him in the Cruiserweight Classic, put him on 205 Live, he fits. Now, he does the shooting star press. Number three is CM Punk. Punk wipes the floor with Ziggler and Evan Bourne. He grabs the microphone. JTG gets dumped really quick. Not exactly a whole heck of a, you know, big shock there. Kali comes out, and I just love this. Do you accept straight edge? Thunk! <laughs> Kali coming right down. Yeah. It was so good. And Punk is whining and crying as Kali gets him in the vice. One of his, you know, two or three moves that he had, because this was another guy who was not exactly well coordinated, which is what made his exit from the Rumble even more remarkable. And I love the way that they booked that with regard to the little twists in his character, the surprise entrant they had coming in at number six. There were so many little parts to this Rumble that were booked so, so, so well. I love it. Yeah, good a good start with Punk um, you know, taking oh, control. You know, I'm gonna digress for a minute. Yeah, go I ahead. Want, I want to get into the RKO thing. Oh, here we go. <laughs> we have, I've woken it. up a monster. <laughs> here we go. Now, now listen, I, I I agree that they are one and two. And I think it'd be hard to find a better one than those two. Here's why I put the Rollins one ahead of the Evan Bourne one. Not necessarily from the athletic aspect to it. But the story behind the one at WrestleMania 31 is actually really cool. It's a spot that they came up with that they spent the entire week leading up to WrestleMania working on, where they said, this is going to be the finish. We have to try to nail this. And they practiced it and practiced it and practiced it, and they could not hit the damn thing once. Either, you know, uh, Orton jumped up too soon a couple of times Rollins like flipped over backwards. It never happened where he stood up. Rollins went straight up in the air and it worked. And they practiced it all week long and they couldn't get it. And in the ring during the match, they were debating on whether or not that was going to be the finish or should they just go the safe route and not screw up their WrestleMania match. 
And in the end, they decided, screw it. We're going to give it a shot anyway. And they hit it flawlessly. And on top of that, Orton is so pumped up that they hit it that for about eight seconds, he actually forgets he has to cover up. Yeah, yeah, no, I remember that. And He's then, like... if you watch the referee who was in the back and forth with them and knew what was going on was so pumped up that Orton hit it that if you watch after the one, two, three, when Orton jumps up, the ref comes over to him and is like hyping Orton up. Like he goes like a fist bump, like, I knew you were going to hit that. I you see him like throwing like two punches, like, yeah, you hit it. I thought for all of those reasons, that's the best RKO of all time. I hear you from an aesthetic standpoint, taking the story completely out of the equation. I'm just partial to the shooting star into the RKO. The shooting star is a beautiful move when it's done right. And just having to see the replay a couple of different times, you can tell the play-by-play and commentary crew had no idea that was coming and just needed to see how it was done. This goes back to the point of when Randy Orton wants to be really good, he can be one of the best workers on the planet. The problem is he only hits that gear a couple of times a year. When When he does, you know it. Problem is when he doesn't, you know that too. He's sort of in that gear right now, too. He he's got a real good run going right now. There's not a lot of great stuff on on WWE TV, but Randy's doing a really good job uh, right now. His match with Edge was really good. It yeah. wasn't the greatest match ever, but it's a solid four star mm-hmm. match. A little bit long, a little bit hokey, but it was pretty darn good. And he's doing some good heel work right now with Flair um, over there. So uh, yeah, he, he's he's a little rejuvenated at the moment. We get back to number six, and it's Beth Phoenix, and. So Beth Phoenix comes out and she enters. So it's she's in the ring now. Kali's in the ring and CM Punk's laying in the corner. And Kali picks her up and places her over the top ropes on the apron. And then he just points. He tells her to go. And uh, she kisses him and she pulls him down over the top and she sneaks underneath. And as Darren was saying, the fact that Kali is not somebody who can bump, he cannot take over the top rope type of bumps. This did not look bad at all for for Beth to, to have to work this spot with Kali. It might not have been easy. And they did a damn good job. This is something we've seen replayed over and over and over. Anytime we hear, see something about Kali or about Beth or about the Rumble, she was only the second woman ever to be in the Rumble at this point. And Matt Stryker says, why does Kali get all the good stuff? And then he <laughs> says, never trust a woman. Look at that. And... So she goes right after Punk, and what's cool about this is I believe at the time they're dating. Uh, they dated for a while, and she's now Beth Phoenix is now married to Edge, and they have a family. But she was going out with CM Punk at the time. I'm sure that's probably why they worked this spot because Punk, you know, they said, "Hey, we're dating. We're like, we'll be, you know, I'll take care of her. I'll be very careful. It's not going to be a weird or uncomfortable spot." And so. Punk actually gives her the GTS and uh, the go to sleep. You don't see a lot of that, you know. Um, you, you, you haven't seen a whole ton of intergender stuff really in in WWF e through the years, really at all. So seeing seeing something like this, you, you know that there was something behind the scenes, and it, it was the fact that it was a you know th- these two that were involved. So number seven. Oh, radio, tell me everything you know. Zack Ryder, woo, woo, woo. 
Punk tells him he has potential Which is actually funny because Punk's always had Really positive things to say about Ryder He was one of the guys that in In his diatribe on uh, Colt Cabana's podcast he talked about You know Zack Ryder is doing What you guys want he gets over On his own and then you don't put him You don't push him at all you know This guy you don't give him any opportunity And so he was the guy that that frustrated the WWE because of of what they did with Ryder and Ryder's He's not in there very long He's he's about to get his push though pretty soon Not not long after this he gets a good little push And he gets his push in quotation marks Yeah it, it's not It's it's in the highest level uh, That he's ever at for an extended Period of time where he's in the mix US title thing He kind of has a little little thing with With Cena and Eve it doesn't end well For him but it's it's Sort of the most prominent that he, he Ever has been um, We then get to number eight and this is where things start to to pick up. We we get Ryder tossed right before number eight. CM Punk chants are really starting here. He gets the mic again, and he has the really cool line: "Whoever is next, I am better than them. I am better than each and every one of you." Da-dum. It's time to play the game. Here comes Triple H. And what's nice about this is, even if we didn't think Punk was gonna win this thing. It didn't drag up to the point where Triple H, the first legitimate, legitimate contender, comes in. So it it wasn't like, oh, okay, one through twelve really stunk. The punk stuff was all fun, and and at least with he's getting the mic, and there's the, the thing with with Beth and with Great Cauley. So leading up to Triple H coming in, it's good. And now you get Drew McIntyre number nine. He's the IC champ. Triple H counters a GTS, and he tosses CM Punk. And um, Stryker has a little botch here He calls CM Punk the cerebral assassin When he means Triple H And then number 10, Ted DiBiase comes in So starting with number 6, Beth Phoenix When she comes in with that great spot And now through number 10 with DiBiase coming in uh, We'll get on over to DZ Yeah, this is when, like as you said Things definitely start to pick up Um, Did you notice, by the way Triple H when he came out Not the best shape we've ever seen Triple H No, I agree yeah, mm-hmm. a little um, flabby, maybe. Yeah, which is kind of surprising, being two and a half months from WrestleMania. Um, you know, he's a guy that at times has been jacked beyond belief, and at times has kind of gone a little bit the other way. Um, now we can talk about the substances that one may ingest that can. <laughs> <cause> that. <laughs> but yeah, this is not the best. Shape we've ever seen Triple H in, um, which I thought was a little bit surprising. Um, you know, Zack Ryder is a guy that I, my, my son loves. Zack Ryder, he, he walks around just going, Whoa, 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 he's all about it. <laughs> uh, very upset that he's not in WWE anymore. Um, we'll save that for another podcast. I thought the Beth Phoenix stuff, uh, was really cool. Number nine, interesting guy, you know, here's a very young, trimmed down Drew McIntyre. And uh, you talk about a tale of two careers for a guy that, you know, was literally handed a microphone by the CEO of the company and introduced as the next big thing before being shunned from WWE and before kind of coming full circle and now being the next big thing. Um, it's it's pretty interesting uh, the way that his career has really just gone full circle. And I, I really enjoyed watching him in here and, and seeing the contrasting style and and you know physique of what he was then versus what he is now. So thought that was interesting. Um, then you have DiBiase come out, and now you're gonna you know wait for obviously 
uh, Cody Rhodes to come out and see what happens there. You know, you're not quite sure at this point where that's going to go. But, yeah, things definitely start to pick up, and the guy's going to start to be in the ring for a bit longer. One of the things I really like doing when going back and looking at Royal Rumbles from the late aughts, I guess we're calling it, 07, 08, 09, 2010, that area, I love looking at the guys WWE clearly saw something in and had earmarked for big things moving forward, but they just never panned out as much as you thought they would under the WWE umbrella. Just looking at this match, you have Zack Ryder, mm-hmm. Cody, Ted DiBiase Jr., Evan Bourne. Evan Bourne, Carlito. They're all gone. These were guys that at one point, WWE saw major potential in all of them. Carlito had the storyline with Ric Flair in the mid-2000s that was genuinely really entertaining. Masters got a push, too. I don't think he had a lot of ability, but he was getting, you know, they were high on him at times, too, for sure. Now, there were a couple of guys that left and came back. McIntyre's one of them. John Morrison, who comes out of 11, is another. John Morrison, by the way, should have been a gigantic star in the early 2010s. There was no reason not to push that guy to the moon. He had the look, he had the skill, maybe not the best on the mic as a baby face, but as a heel, he's a guy that you can run with as a potential top heel. And you know that because in 2020, with John Morrison, either at 40 years of age or just above that, is a main event heel. And this is not peak John Morrison that we're getting here. Peak John Morrison is what we saw 10, 12 years earlier. They left and came back. The only guy that stayed from the mid to late 2000s onward that could have ever been seen as a prospect, that could have ever been seen as a guy that people would say, hey, this guy could be a player for us down the road, is The Miz. Yeah. And if you would have told someone that in 2007, 2008, that the only guy of that group that that would be WWE through and through for the next 15 years would be the guy that came in with the weird douchey haircut who had (laughs) no respect from anyone in the locker room to where he had to dress in the hallway until he earned his stripes. If you were to tell people that that would be the only guy from that class of, I don't want to call them recruits, but class of prospects Mm -hmm. that came in that would be with the WWE uninterrupted for 15 years, uh, people would be shocked. But that's precisely what unfolded. And there's a couple of other guys, Mr. Kennedy in particular, from that era that weren't in this Rumble match for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. It's a case where if you want to spend some time doing this, I urge you, watch the Rumbles from 07, 08, 09, 2010, and just see some of the prospects that WWE clearly had high hopes for that just didn't pan out. We've done mid to late 90s WWF shows that might have been rocky, but you could tell, okay, these guys are going to be somebody, and they were. The hit rate was incredibly high. Then you get to 10, 15 years later, and the hit rate goes down considerably. We get to number 11, John Morrison. So now this is the first time where I think we've had four in the ring. With number 11, and John's on fire all over. And number 12 is Kane. He is now number five. So there's five in the ring. Cody Rhodes comes in at 13. So now we have six in the ring. 
And then number 14 is MVP He gets attacked from behind by the Miz With a US title belt So MVP heads back to the locker room He doesn't make it to the ring quite yet Number 15 is Carlito And so now there are seven Actually in there with MVP Never making it to the ring We'll go to the Miz um, So we'll go 11 through 16 here So Miz is number 16 MVP comes in and eliminates the Miz And himself with a double clothesline Over the top So we still have seven in there so far Darren this was a good follow up to their match earlier I, I like the chemistry With these two guys They have good chemistry together Whatever it is you mentioned I don't know if they really don't like each other Maybe it's the opposite Maybe they do like each other They just seem like they had a little I liked I liked what their feud I liked what was going on here This made sense It it kept a, a little going between the two of them And it was you know it was a good way to get Both of these guys out of the rumble Continuing their feud As these were good middle to starting to be Upper middle card guys Yeah I, I really liked how they Kind of built that into the rumble Put a bow on it for the rumble, you know, kind of worked the, the story full circle. Um, yeah, really liked the way that those two worked together. Um, you know, you have Cody in there, uh, a trimmed down skinny Cody back in the day. Um, you know, Kane is uh, only going to be in there for nine minutes, which was a little bit surprising. I, I forgot that he was eliminated uh, as quickly as he was. You know, one thing I didn't remember, Carlito, I would have never come up with that. He was in five Royal Rumbles at this point. Me too. And right. I still around. I kind of forget he was still around here. This yeah, yeah. Like five Royal Rumbles for Carlito. Never would have come up with that. But you're right. The, the the ring starts to fill up a little bit. You got some heavy hitters. You got some more heavy hitters on the way. And you know, really at this point, when you take a look at who's been in the ring and who you thought could have won this thing, Punk, Triple H, maybe you can make a case for Kane. And out of the guys that have been in the ring to this point, that's probably it. Yeah. Well, you know that you got some some big, uh, you know, heavyweight Heavy hitters coming. coming. Yep. Yeah. yeah. This was the only spot in the Rumble where the ring started to fill up a little bit. And that's not a negative because that's going to happen at one point in every Rumble. It's just going to be the case. There's going to be times where the ring's going to fill up and ideally, you'd like someone who's either an upper mid-carder or a fringe main eventer to come in every three or four picks and just get the crowd excited, give them something to watch. This was a case where a lot of mid-carders coming in, a lot of guys that, again, you could tell WWE wanted to be somebody but just weren't to that point yet. You get Cody, DiBiase, Carlito, Morrison at 11, McIntyre at 9, I wish that they might have put somebody into that mix, you know, around the 12, 13 spot that was a little bit over with the crowd. Like, for instance, maybe a Jericho or Kofi, something. Kofi would have been sure. fine. Kofi there. was, and yeah, yeah. Do, yeah. And you could do one of the spots that he would become noteworthy for where he would find really interesting ways to stay in the Royal Rumble. He hadn't gotten to that point in his character yet. You could have launched it there. That's not a negative. That this was fine. It just wasn't quite as good as what I think of as the first third of this match and the back third of this match. Things start to this next five might have been one of my favorite parts of the the match. So we get to number seventeen, Matt Hardy, who is quickly eliminated by Kane here, and then Kane gets eliminated by Triple H, as Darren mentioned, kind of quickly and kind of nondescript. And Triple H, if you watch leading up to this for about eight minutes, Triple H is just sleeping. 
I mean, he's not doing anything. And then he starts to, you know, he builds up and he goes on his little run right here and he, he takes control. But it's funny because he is literally like taking his gas. So I, I wonder if there was something to that, Darren, because you mentioned he, he looked not quite as in good of a shape that we've normally seen Triple H. He feels like he's dogging it a little bit here for a while. For someone who's not even in this match, I mean, he's in it for 18 minutes. It's not like he's in it for 35 minutes plus. So he, number 18, is when Shawn Michaels comes out. So he jogs in. He's got a determined look on his face. Undertaker won earlier, so he knows he needs a win to set up their WrestleMania rematch. And Shawn Michaels immediately tosses Carlito, then Cody, then Ted. Then he tosses Morrison. Um, Striker, another little flub. He calls Shawn Michaels Triple H. Cole corrects him. And quickly, this ring is emptied. It's down to three. It's DX and Drew McIntyre. And then DX eliminates Drew McIntyre. So it's down to Sean and Triple H. They have a little stare down. And we're getting the countdown. We get three, two, one. And John Cena's music hits. So now we are really, really getting to the heavy hitters here. Number 19, John Cena. He just had a feud with these two. They were in the title match at Survivor Series in a triple threat. So this is a great little throwback to that. Cena's on fire. He there's a spot though where he's he's getting ready to set up for like a five knuckle shuffle, and he tosses Triple H right on Sean's head. Oh, that was ugly, and I'm so oh, it, happy you brought it, it up. Oh, it could have been bad, bad, but it wasn't. It, it wasn't. You could see that Sean kind of like exhales right after. It could have been bad if they like clunk heads or somebody's arm or something gets caught in between. It, it just could have gone bad in a lot of different ways, but it. it Fingers crossed, luckily, you know, knock on wood It did not go poorly And uh, Triple H saves Shawn Michaels as Cena is about to F5 him uh, off over the top Rope and you get a, a Pedigree to John Cena and then Shawn Michaels from behind he tosses Triple H so this is really good As you know Triple H saves him He turns around and says sorry sorry Buddy I'm I'm I got focus I got blinkers on here and I got To face that taker at Wrestlemania Number 20 is Shelton Benjamin And pretty quickly Cena tosses Shelton And then number 21 Yoshitatsu Hey I will say Yoshi comes in flying He hits a couple of pretty cool looking Spinning heel kicks And he he does a couple real interesting Flying all over moves And then he gets tossed But he gets actually hung up on the ropes It It might be a little painful for him Takes Cena twice to get him over But he ends up tossing him So starting at number 17 with Matt Hardy coming in And we're up to number 21 Yoshitatsu That spot with uh, Shawn Michaels And and Triple H and John Cena That was one of those cool spots That we see at the Rumble, Darren When we think of uh, maybe either Flair and Piper You know, or Brett and Austin And then Brett's music hits It's just one of those cool On my short list of Somebody's music hits and it's a great setup. Yeah, and you can see that right here. They pretty much want to clear the ring for, you know, those three and then bring out, you know, obviously the next nine or ten guys that are all going to be, for the most part, pretty heavy hitters. Uh, you know, there's three ECW guys in this match, Zack Ryder, Shelton Benjamin, Yoshi Tatsu. Uh, they're in the ring for a combined one minute and 49 seconds. So you could tell that we're pretty much at the end of the ECW 2.0 experiment at this point. Um, yeah, so the Cena music hits, you get you get a big reaction. Uh, it's a cool spot with him, Sean, and Triple H. Uh, you know, Sean hitting a uh, you know hitting Triple H with the sweet chin music and knocking him out. You know, it's a cool spot the way Sean's kind of looking down on him. Like you said, you know, business is business, buddy. You know, I got my mind focused on what I want to accomplish. Uh, 
Yeah, and now you get to the point where it's like, okay, so we got Michaels, we got Cena, you know, we know that we still got Mark Henry coming down, and we got, uh, you know, Jericho, and we got uh, Batista, and of course, there's going to be a mystery surprise as well near the end, but you're starting to formulate in your head as you're watching this, all right, I could start to figure out who I think the final four or five are going to be, but there is going to be a twist later on. I loved the spot when DX was alone right after they tossed McIntyre. And if you watch really closely, right before McIntyre goes out, you can see Sean look up the ramp, looking to see what the clock looks like. And if you look and you know what you're looking for, you know someone big is going to be coming out at 19. It's not going to be a situation where DX is in the ring and they send a jobber out there at number 19. McIntyre goes flying. Out come the trumpets. How is that? Does my nice, nice. Tune? Yeah, see, that sucks. Yeah. Nice, yeah. Nice. I, I feel like we need to do a take on WWE the music. I feel like we need to send that out on iTunes. <laughs> it's like the, it the our version of now. That's what you 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 call music part two. Yeah. You know, and it, we're just <laughs> instead of kids bop, it's wrestlers fans bop or whatever. We'll figure something out. It'll be catchier. Now, you mentioned it. Cena drops Triple H on HBK, and I saw that. And I had forgotten about that spot. I knew that there was the 10 knuckle shuffle bit, but I didn't know what came before that. And I'm looking at this going, oh God, if Michaels' head is two inches in either direction, we got a problem here. I mean, can you imagine the ramifications for that? It would have been business changing because then you don't get Taker HBK at WrestleMania 26. WrestleMania 26, by the way, becomes a legitimate stink bomb because that was a one match show and that one match absolutely delivered. So you get those three in the ring and then you get a run where there's just not a lot of talent at 20 and 21. You get Shelton Benjamin, who was an incredible athlete, but who at that time WWE had nothing for creatively. They were just sort of bring him out there whenever they needed an athlete to work with somebody. They bring in Yoshitatsu and I was higher on his WWECW stuff than most. He's managed to make a career for himself over in Japan. Good on him for that. But he botches his own elimination pretty bad. He gets hung up on the ropes when he was supposed to go flying over to the point where John Cena, who at this point is built like the Incredible Hulk, just picks him up and throws him over. If you see, he looks a little bit frustrated and justifiably so. Just, you know, Cena picking him up, hurling him over. Big Show has said that Cena is one of the naturally strongest guys he's ever been in the ring with. The joke he makes is whenever Cena picks him up, Big Show feels like he can order a pizza before he comes down. Like, just try to imagine Yoshitatsu's feeling getting hurled over the top rope onto the arena floor, likely against his will to a certain extent, and try not to chuckle a little bit. So now we are up to number 22 in, well, it's the Big Show. And it, it, it is going to be, I think, kind of crappy when you look back because maybe I don't know when or where, but like the Big Show and Kane, those guys should have a rumble. There should be somewhere where there was a rumble that 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 those guys won, and they won't have one. And and even you know someone like a Jericho, it's kind of weird to look back at and think that he doesn't have a, a rumble under his belt. Um, but we get the Big Show at twenty two, and then we get Mark Henry at twenty three. Mark Henry's about a year away from his best run. 
from that Hall of Pain run. In fact, he actually has a couple really good, really fun big man matches with um, with the Big Show. He has that really good match at uh, with, with a couple of good matches with Sheamus, and I'm sure we'll get to the Money in the Bank pay per view that that Punk and and Cena have that great match at. Mark Henry's got a good one on there too. So he's 23, 24. Chris Masters. He gets tossed real quickly. Uh, Mark Henry's going at it with the Big Show. Henry actually, Mark Henry actually slams the Big Show. And at number twenty-five, it's our Truth from behind. He eliminates the Big Show and Mark Henry as they were battling. So we have three in the ring now. Number twenty-six, it's Jack Swagger. He goes crazy. Swagger almost tosses Shawn Michaels, but it was a really great spot. Shawn holds on with one arm on the ropes and and is able to to slide back into the ring, and then. Kofi Kingston, which I think Andrew hit on a point, and we'll go to 27, and then uh, I'll, I'll head it over to Darren. Is that with with Kingston at 27? This was a, a moment where Kofi was a was getting pushed. He had a big win over Orton. He had that moment at MSG where he goes into the crowd and he beats the crap out of Orton, and then at Survivor Series his team wins, and he's getting a push. But the story backstage was that Randy Orton didn't really like Kofi, and that that. Ignite, that was something that um, you know stupid, put a stop. Stupid, yeah, stupid. But to stop to it, but even even Kofi, I don't think we're thinking he could win here. But he's someone who's hot, who's pushed. He's coming in at twenty seven. He is flying all around, and he does a couple really cool things. We get a, a head scissors for him to eliminate our truth. So twenty two, starting with Big Show to number twenty seven, Kofi. Darren, I'm I'm glad Kofi got his run last year. But what's crazy it's is you look at it again and it's like right after that loss to Brock Lesnar, he went immediately back to the tag team mid-card kind of guy and it was like he lived in the main event for such a for maybe 6 to 8 months. He beat the likes of everyone that you put in front of him and then he's just right back to the the tag level again. Yeah, I mean, you know, when when you get to that level, enjoy it because you never know how long it's going to last, right? Um yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, you know, one thing is that's weird is like how that Kofi thing was never really supposed to even happen. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the word is that was supposed to be Mustafa, Mustafa. Ali. Mustafa, yep. Yeah, uh, who finally just came back and made an appearance on Raw last night, um, seemingly out of nowhere. But by the way, I, I digress, but whatever happened to that whole hacker thing where people thought that was Mustafa? They just like completely stopped with it. Like, stopped. Stop. Completely <laughs> yeah. stopped. I, they were going to set this whole thing up and then just stop with it. And you're right. Yeah. And Kofi got the push this this last year because of that one match in that gauntlet match, which is another thing that WWE has done pretty well over the last couple of years on on TV, whether it be Raw or SmackDown, is have these gauntlet matches that could take up a long period of time. The crowd got so behind Kofi that. They decided, oh, you know what? Let's go in that direction with Kofi. And he's getting clean wins over Daniel Bryan and some legitimate top-tier contenders. And, um, you know, it's 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 unfortunate. He And he's had a good, solid career. I don't think we could say it's a disappointment or anything. It would just, you could see he can compete on a level and have really solid, good matches with, you know, with main event um, tier guys. So that magic number of 27 DZ is Kofi, but not a, not a whole ton Really between 22 up until Kofi They saved a couple big ones for the last three Yeah I mean You know you do have Big Show and Mark Henry Although you know they've always Been the guys that it's like Oh you know who's going to throw these guys out And then mm-hmm. they get eliminated in two minutes I mean that's kind of like what is always the case With, with them 
I mean, Chris Masters obviously is not going to last long. Uh, our truth amazingly does not age. Like you look at him today, you look at him ten years ago, it, it has not aged a day. It's no. really remarkable, and, and his athletic ability and the things that he does in the ring, uh, you know, just has not even lost a step from then. Uh, you know, a decade ago plus. So that's great. Um, you know, Jack Swagger, kind of cool to see him back then. Uh, but he's only in there for a couple minutes. But you're right. I mean, you take a look at this run. Not really a whole lot of guys that are really in contention to win this thing. Um, you know, you got a couple of big ones coming up. And you got one that ends up being a very big one that you didn't know was coming. Fun fact, I actually got to interview our truth prior to a WWE house show at the Glens Falls Civic Center in Glens Falls, New York. They actually paid me to preview nice. the show and write about the show in an online recap. Oh, how cool. Fantastic. That was one of those few times when I was a sports writer where I'm going, you're paying me to get free seats and write about a show? I remember uh, there was a Naomi Brie Bella match before either of those two knew how to work. It was god-awful. Brad Maddox served as the special referee. The line that I remember writing was something along the lines of Brad Maddox suggested this be an empty arena match and the fans in attendance likely wished that that had been the case. <laughs> it was bad. Anyway, uh, so tangent over. And the reason that I went on the tangent is as you guys hit, this was another bit of a, of a dead spot in the rumble. And this rumble did not have a lot of long dead spots. There are some rumbles, especially recently, where they go eight or ten spots mm -hmm. without a guy who can win. And even Here's as Darren said, dead with, with Big Show and Mark Henry, at right. least they're guys that matter in, in, yes. and are important to the rumble story as it is, you know? Yep, and it's dead for four or five spots. It's not dead for what seems like forever after a favorite gets tossed, and then you're saving all the big names for the end. This was something where it was still legitimately entertaining, I loved the spot with Swagger and Sean where Swagger tries to clothesline Sean out, but Sean hangs on with one arm. If he had done the two arm thing, it still would have worked. The one arm thing was just him showing off. That was really, really cool. <laughs> Kofi eliminates our truth with a head scissors in what I think is a legitimately great spot. Kofi was on the apron and sort of head scissored our truth out from when our truth was inside the ring. That was pretty cool. Our truth in his mid 40s is still one of the most entertaining aspects on the WWE roster. And the guy is still not bad in the ring for what he's being asked to do. More power to him. So we are to the final three now. Chris Jericho, number 28. He comes out and then Cena eliminates Kofi. So we're down to three in the ring Cena, Sean, and Chris Jericho. And number 29, in my opinion, if you said this was your favorite theme song ever, I wouldn't argue with you. It's absolutely in my top five. You think you know me. On this day, I see clearly everything has come to life. We've created a monster, it, Darren. <laughs> and we get just the great pop. As Darren mentioned a couple times, the big surprise, Edge making a surprise return. Way earlier than he was supposed to I believe Stryker mentions it They were talking about 13 months or so And he's back after 8 So this wasn't like one of those rumored Returns that you heard about People legitimately didn't think he'd be back for months Maybe around Mania And he comes in He spears all over And he tosses Jericho which is great And we get to number 13 Batista 
And there's a great minute when Batista comes in Where he just dominates everyone And then he catches a spear from Edge And Stryker says that Edge may have come back a little too early from injury So he doesn't have the same vigor as everybody else Sean with the flying elbow And then a couple of really sweet, sweet chin music spots And Edge hits a, a double clothesline And almost gets Sean But he hangs on And Sean is standing on the apron and we get this spot where Batista comes and knocks him out. Sean does a really good job here acting. You know, he's not always been the greatest actor, but he looks like he's about to cry. And he, he he's he's not sure if he's supposed to be angry or sad or what emotion. And he tosses one of the refs and he gets back in the ring and he's waiting there and he, he super kicks another referee. And then he sits down in the ring for a minute and kind of puts his hands in his head and he slowly gets out and walks away. It was a really good job by Sean Selling the anguish and everything So now we're down to three It's Cena, Batista, and Edge Remember Cena and Batista were the final two Back in 2005 So we've been here with them two before And Cena eliminates Batista We're down to two It's Cena and Edge Not a crazy long back and forth or anything at the end But I think they might have been a little nervous With Edge coming back so soon In that, hey, we want to get him in We want to get the pop Let's have him win this thing Doing maybe the least amount as possible And we'll be able to buy a little bit of time For him down the line, you know To set up a, a match And, and you, it it didn't feel bad It wasn't like they slap you in the face with it Just knowing that Edge was coming back And we're watching it, we can understand why They might not have wanted him to, to go more than the You know, he goes for 737 in there But he's he's working He does. It's about a few of his spots That's really what it is for Edge So I, I thought this was a for me, a top five rumble, really, in that it's good and entertaining from start to finish. You get Punk coming out at three, and then he's entertaining all the way to the end. And there are a few small lull spots. You're going to get that in every rumble because there's going to have to be 15 or so filler, anyways. But I thought when you go through Triple H, Cena, Shawn Michaels, Batista, Jericho, Edge, and then you throw in, you know, Big Show, Kane, Kofi. You know, some of those who may have been someone we could have, have built a case for at the time. This was not a rumble that went, oh yeah, Austin's winning. Especially when it felt like if you were going to say that about anyone, it would have been Sean. And I love what they do moving forward from here. They don't just say screw it. They they find a way to get to Sean Taker, and that's what's become different about the Royal Rumble in the era where we have two championships, in the era where we have two titles, and we have another pay per view or. A bunch of opportunities on Raw and SmackDown Between the Rumble and WrestleMania They can always find a way to get the match they want set up It doesn't have to be in the Rumble as much anymore And I I love what they did in this Rumble In that we would have assumed and thought It was going to be Sean after Taker won And they swerved us And it was Edge who we didn't didn't even see coming It wasn't a Cena or a Batista Who people probably wouldn't have loved seeing at this time again So the way it ended, the way it was booked For the most part, top 5 Rumble to me I liked it, Andrew, even the undercard You know, the really good Mysterio-Taker match And then I didn't really get offended by a lot of the other stuff I loved how they ended that feud with Mickey James and Michelle McCool Didn't mind the Miz MVP Didn't mind Zeke Christian Orton and Sheamus Yeah, it could have been better, but it didn't offend me It wasn't 20 minutes that I had to sit through That I wish I had my 20 minutes of my life back kind of a thing all in all, 
Fun rumble, one that I had forgotten about If I was talking about some of the best rumbles This wouldn't have been one that immediately came to mind And it was, it, it was, Andrew, good pick What are some of your kind of overall final thoughts on the show? A couple of things here First of all, going to the rumble match The best bump that anyone takes in this match Is not a participant in the actual match Charles Robinson gets <laughs> lulled into the ring To try to get Shawn Michaels out after Michaels has been eliminated. Now, for context, Michaels gets eliminated and the match stops. This has never happened in Rumble history, where when you've got multiple guys in the ring, the match just stops when one guy gets dumped, especially when you're down to three. Well, Michaels does the phenomenal bit of acting. They get him back into the ring. Robbins says, you got to go back, you got to go back, you got to go back. Boom! Takes a gigantic bump off the sweet chin music. Looks great doing it. The little Nate hair goes flying everywhere. It's a really good bump, and he played his role absolutely perfectly. The sequence with Edge and HBK on the apron was really good. The, in, the ending of the match, it was short, but it didn't necessarily feel rushed. I thought this match was as well-booked as it possibly could be under the circumstances. You mentioned this isn't a rumble that jumps out at you for the notable moments that are in it. It's not the 2020 rumble where edge comes back and everyone remembers, Oh, this is the rumble where edge comes back after nine years. The rumble you get though is one of the most technically sound, well-paced, well-booked rumbles in the history of the match. You had mentioned it's a top five rumble for you. For, for me, it's top two. Flair is one. This is two. I love this rumble. I love the Taker Mysterio match. The undercard was fine. This is a really fun show, and and that's the reason I picked it. I'm going to tap myself on the back a little bit here. I don't like (laughs) to toot my own horn, but toot, toot. Yeah, I I would have to think in terms of where exactly I would put it all the time. I can't say definitively I would put it second. I would have to sit down and think, but it's definitely high up there. Um, You know, I I like the, the moment where Edge, where his music hits, I, to the, I don't know if it was Cole or Stryker who, who yells out, like, holy shit, and, like, stops himself in the middle, um, you know, when the music drops. It was either Cole or Stryker, and to this day, I'm not sure which one it was because I, I can't decipher <laughs> what it was. Um, but, yeah, I, I like the finish. Um, I like the fact that they figure out a way to work their way back to Sean and, and Undertaker at Mania. Uh, you get Edge Jericho, which obviously there's some history. So this is one of those times I, I've complained before when we've spoken, guys, about how big mania matches in the past have had long buildups of a story. And lately, that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Mm-hmm. They get thrown together the year of two, three months, you know, as opposed to times where, you know, we've had buildups for six, seven, eight months before. Now, while this, technically, these matches could have gotten thrown together this year, okay, fine, but Edge and Jericho have history. Uh, you John know, Taker, Taker yeah. have history. Um, Cena and Batista have history. So it, it was different. Not like this, and I'm not saying that, that, that this was a good WrestleMania by any stretch of the imagination, but at least the stories. The builds, yeah. Yeah, they had builds to them. They had backstory, so it worked from that standpoint. Uh, I enjoyed it immensely. I'm I'm glad 
uh, Andrew picked it. I'm a huge Edge guy, so this is obviously one of my more memorable Rumble moments when he comes back and wins this. Uh, I love the reaction he gets. I love the pop he gets. Uh, very good quality show. Taker Mysterio is fantastic. Uh, the, or, the, the Rumble match itself is excellent. Not too many bad moments. The Orton-Sheamus match was one that I would have liked to have seen more from. But other than that, uh, a very enjoyable show that was not a long watch at all. No, and I, I, I'm good call, Andrew. Very good call. Thank I you. actually teased with Andrew and that I was going to go to uh, an early SummerSlam. But you know what? The one that I'm going to isn't early, early, a little later. But I know, Darren, you'll you'll enjoy watching this one back too. Uh, we're going to go to SummerSlam 94. And we're going to check out that Bret Hart, Owen Hart, Steel Cage match. Okay. We're going to get to see a really fun Razor Ramon versus Diesel for the IC title match. And then we'll have a blast talking all about the disaster that is The Undertaker versus The Undertaker. All the oh, Leslie no. Nielsen lead up in the, oh, in the no. year in the year prior to that. So we'll have that, that fun. We'll have some good match quality and then some good wrestle crap also to talk about with The Undertaker versus Undertaker there. And um, in, a, in a show that isn't going to take us, you know, five hours to watch or anything, we're going to go to 1994 to SummerSlam. The next few shows I pick are going to be SummerSlam. It's the summer now. I'm kind of on a SummerSlam kick in, in some of my rewatches. So let's go to 94 SummerSlam, and we're going to see that Bret Hart, Owen Hart in the cage where they go over 30 minutes long. The most random match in pay-per-view history of Jeff Jarrett and Mabel. Right, yeah. <laughs> Which is really weird, knowing that the next year, Mabel is in the main event of SummerSlam 95 as King Mabel. Yeah. <laughs> Which is bizarre. Just a year later, we get the never-ending Tatanka-Lex Luger feud. So we get another another installment of that. We actually get a, a women's title match with Bull, Nakano, and Alondra Blaze. And then an opener that uh, was with Bam Bam, IRS, Bam Bam and IRS beating the Head Shrinkers there by DQ. So, yeah, I think there were two or three good matches. One that's really bad to talk about. A couple others that I forgot. But I'm going to enjoy watching the Brett Owen. I know that for sure. So that's our homework for next week, fellas. We're... We're going to be in the SummerSlam mode, 1994 SummerSlam. And then uh, next ep- after that will be Darren uh, on on tap for next week with your selection. DZ, any, give us any closing thoughts and then give us some of your plugs. I enjoyed this. Looking forward to SummerSlam. And, man, we'll keep our fingers crossed because we are recording this on Tuesday evening. And by the time this show ends up coming out on Friday – we hopefully should have had baseball games for the two teams that you and I root for, the Yankees and the Dodgers. Yeah, uh, you know, as a Yankee fan, I'm excited because we pretty much have the entire roster, for the most part, healthy, which is uh, a new occurrence for the Yankees after the last couple of years, and I'm hoping it stays that way. Um, yeah, I'm certainly excited to, to, to get back to watching baseball. Um, you know, excited, obviously, moving forward in the summer Racing season, uh, coming off the Haskell, heading towards the Travers and the Derby, which is weird to say. On the harness side, we had Meadowlands Pace Night on Saturday. It was a huge night. Uh, they bet $5 million at the Meadowlands that night, which was great. Uh, Hamiltonian Day is coming up in a couple of weeks, so I have that to look forward to uh, as well. But, uh, yeah, but one more thing wrestling-related. Guys, did you see the picture of Roman Reigns at the gym the other day? I did not. No. i got to look this up. He looks – he is shredded. Like, like since he's been gone, 
he spent every waking moment in the gym. I think about for a guy like him, he's when has he ever gotten or ever would get an opportunity like this to actually be physically healthy and not having to wrestle every day? Because normally, if you're not on TV, you're injured, so you're not able to put in the type of work that he would have to put in to look like that. So that's got to be a little bit refreshing for the guy to be able to get his body to the shape that he really wants it. It's hard when you work as much as they do to lose weight or to gain. You can gain a little bit of weight. You can't really get in shape. You don't really get out of shape. It's just a different life when you're on the road like that. Yeah. I mean, he is like, like, I mean, he's always been big, but, but now he's big and, you know, Roman carries like a little bit of weight on him. Like he's not like it's kind of yeah. like what The Rock was like early on in his career when he was starting to get before he had the surgery, you know? Yeah, well, now it's like The Rock after he got rid of all that. Okay, it's- yeah, I'm looking it up now. He's, yeah, he's yoked here for sure. <laughs> yeah. He's cut and he's really cut. Yeah, he, yeah, it's big, but it's also cut big. Yeah. yeah. It's it's ridiculous. And uh, I don't know, WWE on Fox tweeted it out, so maybe that's a sign that maybe he's closing into a return at some point. Uh, I know a lot of people don't like him, but to be honest with you, I think you miss something on TV when he's not there. Absolutely, I, think I agree, hundred percent. He, he's he's a big part of their company right now, and if you're against him or you're for him, the reaction that he gets, and he's a polarizing figure. He's better. The, the TV is better, and the store everything's better when he's around. Even if he's not in the main event, he's 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 a top tier guy. Yep. So hopefully, it's a sign uh, that he's coming back. But we're about a month away from SummerSlam, so we'll have time. To, to build up to that and look forward to that. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter at the track seven. We'll keep on powering through the Saratoga meet on the harness side of things in racing. We'll talk about uh, obviously Hamiltonian day and we'll keep obviously uh, the wrestling stuff up as well. And if my golf game improves, maybe I'll, I'll be brave <laughs> off like you, uh, Andrew on the 17th hole at Pebble beach or something. To that effect. <laughs> so we're talking about baseball, and I'm already bracing for the annual failure that is the L.A. Angels. Mike Trout <laughs> will play for how long, we don't know. His wife is expecting their first child with COVID and everything. If one of them is positive, they can't see the baby for 14 days. There's a lot going on. Anthony Rendon might be hurt, as is usually the case. The Angels will likely lose three or four pitchers in the opening week. It's a way of life, and it gets really exhausting. <laughs> so a 60-game sprint as opposed to a 162-game season, maybe that'll be what I need in order to fully appreciate the baseball season. Fingers crossed that, of course, we actually get through the 60-game season, that the bubble remains intact. I have my doubts. That's a different discussion for a different time. Twitter is at Andrew Champagne. In case you've been living under a rock, I do daily picks and analysis and bankroll plays for Saratoga through the Saratogian seasonal publication, The Pink Sheet. It was a lousy opening week for yours truly. Goose eggs on opening day and on Sunday. On Sunday, it was particularly bad. Ten races, six of my second selections wound up winning. No top pick winners, which is what we're graded on in The Pink Sheet. Really, really horrifying stuff made for a really tough day. Hopefully things get better as the meet goes on. They're forecasting some rain in Saratoga this week, so make sure you stay tuned to whatever weather app you have on your phones. Lots going on. Lots of different things to decipher. Saratoga, of course, trudging on is going to be my first priority, and hopefully we can make some money. 
Thank you very much, fellas. Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali, always one of the highlights of my week, talking some old wrestling with you. We got some homework for next week. It's going to be SummerSlam. And hey, at least we have a, ma- a show where you don't have to watch somebody's eyeballs get extracted from their uh, their face. Like we, Amen. Like, like we have to in this uh, this day and age of, uh, of wrestling. So we'll get a fun steel cage match to talk about between the, the hearts, two of my favorite all-time workers. Thank you, Darren. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, everyone out there for listening and tuning in again. But don't go anywhere. We're going to hear from one of our sponsors, and we'll take a quick break. We'll be back with a, a little more on That's What G Said. Hey, big thank you to Andrew and Darren for coming on and talking wrestling with me each and every week. And Andrew pulled double duty this week talking some Saratoga. Hope you have a a great weekend, folks. Remember, share the show around if you can with your friends. Subscribe, rate, review. Uh, We're on iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, uh, Google Podcasts. Tune in anywhere you get your podcast. Give That's What G Said a look. Thanks again, folks. Have a great weekend. Good luck. Baseball is back next week. We're going to have baseball and basketball to talk about. So uh, next week, we will be analyzing and recapping everything that happened from the first weekend of the baseball season and getting you all set up for the NBA start. Have a great one, folks.